0: This is Nicole DeBoer, also known as Ezri Dax, from Deep Space Nine, and you're listening to Kneel Before Pod.
1: Kneel Before Blog presents... Kneel Before Pod. Here's to the finest crew in Starfleet. Engage.
2: Captain John Picard the U.S.
3: Hello and welcome to Kneel Before Pod, the podcast that isn't afraid of artificial life. I'm your host Craig and the time has come to discuss the entirety of Star Trek Picard Season 1. As always, I'll need to beam in my elite yet emotionally damaged crew to carry out this mission. Let's hope I can work the transporter. Energising! So Aaron, welcome aboard.
2: Good evening, Captain.
3: Did the beam in go successfully or did I make a mess of it again?
2: I have the correct number of limbs and eyeballs.
3: That's good. I did it right. It only took me several years, but I did it right. Chris, how's your beaming? Welcome aboard.
1: Where the hell is my left leg?
3: I don't think you had that to begin with. I think um,
1: I'm pretty sure I had it before I left.
3: No, no, I think you're just trying to con me out of a spare left leg here.
1: Well, I think you can afford a left leg, so geezer, left leg. <laughs>
3: Uh, I don't. I don't think so. You come <laughs> with one. You're not getting
2: one when you. Yeah.
1: Dear me! <laughs> right,
2: I really okay. wish you'd done that mm-hmm. in a really thick Glaswegian accent. way. <laughs> a left leg. Geez me!
1: <laughs> what you um, wanting, man? Geez me a left
3: leg. <laughs> <laughs> it's one of his uh, holograms that that can do that. Not, not uh, the original, Chris.
1: Yeah. Holographic Chris. I'm the podcasting version of Chris.
3: Podcasting holograph. (laughs) Yeah. That's possibly a spoiler, but we'll we'll get to it. Okay, so we're here to discuss Star Trek Picard. Recently finished its first season, or recently started its second season, depending on how late I get this podcast up. We are either in lockdown or have been out of lockdown for several months. Who knows? But first, we'll start with Neil before and rise against... (laughs) So, Aaron, do you want to kick us off with a Neil before?
2: I will do that. It's slightly old, but it's the thing I've not mentioned on the the previous one we did, and that's Final Space. Season two dropped eventually after a long wait for the, I think, it to finish playing in America. And I have to say I was quite disappointed at the start of season two because they ratcheted Down the tension massively which was really difficult to deal with I think given the the, the sort of power of the end of season one but by episode seven and I broke my own rules and stuck with something that long by, by episode seven it really picked up they brought the tension and the and the plot back and it was powerful again so really happy with the end of season two of final space
3: so for those that don't know what is final space
2: uh, Final Space is a space bound comedy, it is bordering on the ridiculous, which is dangerous for me because I don't usually like the ridiculous, but I think it's reasonably well written. It's a comic show and it's a sort of a central character with a team around him tries to save the universe set up, but where ridiculous things are happening to them all the time. I don't think it is as funny as it was at the start, but it, it brings its, its humour back up by mid-season, I think. Cool.
3: I've not seen this. I've heard mixed things, especially about Season 2, just as um, yeah. you mentioned. some I think a couple of people gave up on Season 2, so you persevered longer than some. But yeah, here it is. Chris, have you seen it? I saw part of the
1: first season. It's one that I keep meaning to go back to. And watch more of. I watched a bit of the first season, and then I think I just got distracted by something else shiny in the distance, and then uh, never picked it back up. But I've I've, j- I've just written it down on my notepad here because I'm like, I need to remember to go back and watch it. Lockdown is a fantastic time where you can catch up on the TV that you keep putting on a list and going, yeah, I'll I'll get round to that eventually. You know?
3: Or you can just rewatch old stuff that you've already seen. And, and I've I've sort
1: of been doing, doing a bit of that as phone well. Phone.
3: <laughs> 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 I mentioned on the Generations podcast that I would soon begin a rewatch of Star Trek The Next Generation. The update is I have since begun my rewatch of Star Trek The Next Generation.
2: <laughs>
3: <laughs> possibly because of this show, possibly not. We will get into it. Chris, what's your Kneel Before?
1: I will Kneel Before Westworld season three. Uh, I've been uh, watching that recently and I've been enjoying it. Season two was a bit hit or miss for me. It had some elements that worked and some elements that didn't, but season three seems to be taking it on an interesting tangent. The only thing that I would say is that I've been led down this path before by Westworld where they tease me with something interesting and then there's lots of disappointing reveals. So (laughs) we'll see how it goes, but at the moment I'm enjoying it.
3: Season three is less Westworld and more just world, isn't it? World, 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 yeah. Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) It's an interesting
1: way to put it. They always said that they would go and visit the real world. When they initially set out, they said they had a sort of five season plan and I don't know if this is earlier in the plan or later in the plan than they expected. I think the plan originally was to sort of run through different parts of the park, mm-hmm. but then instead they've sort of jumped to this, so it'll be interesting to see what they do.
3: Cool. Aaron, have you seen World? I've not seen it at all. I've not seen a single episode.
2: I saw season one and did enjoy it. And I think I would have carried on, but I actually have no idea where it plays, what network it plays on, how I would get hold of it. Sky. Sky. uh, Yeah, don't do Sky. That's probably (laughs) why I've uh, just not stumbled back across it. If I did stumble across it again, I would definitely carry on into season two, but I'm too far behind to comment on season three, I'm afraid. Yeah, it's Sky slash HBO,
1: depending on where you're watching slash listening slash whatever.
2: Right.
3: Yeah, maybe it'll be cheap on DVD at some point, and you can buy it. Or maybe not. What is DVD? (laughs) What is (laughs) it? Although one thing, tell us about
1: Betamax and VHS next, Granddad.
3: One thing lockdown has proven is that physical media is still king, though, because how many times have people said their internet's gone down, or you know, YouTuber reducing their Streaming bitrate and Netflix are reducing it and Amazon might be and Disney Plus, who knows. But you, know, you can shove a Blu-ray in and it'll play and it'll be fine. So physical media still wins. I will never let go of physical media. That's not my deal before, it's, I suppose i global <laughs> deal before. My number four is actually a video game, specifically the Final Fantasy VII Remake, which I somehow managed to get a week early in the post, which was nice. Again, physical media is king if you buy it digitally. You can't play it until midnight tonight, time of recording. So, screw you, all people that ordered it digitally. Despite getting it a week early, I never managed to actually start playing it until last night, but really enjoying it. I'm a huge fan of the original on the PlayStation And they've recaptured the sentiment and the feel of it perfectly, but updated it nicely. They've expanded bits. It's just, it's nostalgia done right. And it's a brilliant remake. I'm really enjoying it so far. I've played it for seven hours in one day, so... Uh, Gives you an indication of how much I'm enjoying it, I guess.
2: That's a marathon
1: session, seven hours. (laughs) I know, yeah, I just
3: couldn't really put it
2: down. It was nice. I can't imagine having that much time available at the moment, but that could just be because I've come through this online gaming convention thing, which was really weird, but really successful. But I'm fortunate enough to say that I am still working full-time at the moment. So, yeah, Yeah. time. All these people telling me how they've picked up a new hobby and become a master of something.
3: <laughs> Slightly jealous of that. Yeah. How does an online gaming convention work?
2: So you all meet on Discord in one massive group chat, obviously split into different rooms to talk about different things and you do your big greeting and so on. Then the games that are arranged you split out into different platforms. So we did the role-playing games through uh, online meeting software, which I don't know if I'm supposed to name or not, actually, for for sort of corporate purposes. but You've already named Discord, so you might as well. I have, actually, yeah. So we use stuff like WebEx, and some people use Zoom. And in your smaller group, you can just do the role-playing through that. There's, There's everything online as well, like online dice rolling sites and so on, too. Some people went off onto dedicated board game platforms and they just agreed to meet on that platform together at the same time playing the same game and then once you've played those in your various slot you know to come back to discord for the catch-ups chats and so on and they even managed to set up little rooms with video rooms and, and text rooms so they could do the pub quiz and the charity auction entirely through video and text chat and they still managed to raise locally like 500 quid it doesn't sound like much maybe for a convention but obviously it was a much more cut down attendance on this first one while they worked it out but i think it worked really well actually it was weird being online all day i couldn't quite handle that myself because i'm not used to it but other people i think found it quite normal
3: that sounds pretty amazing i guess in your head you just have to portion it out as if you were at the convention normally so i've got to be here at this time but it's like crossing the hall in effect except you clicking on another thing at at say four o'clock or whatever time it is
2: yeah absolutely it was everything you'd think of but all the rooms were digital so whereas you would rush to the bar to get something you had to rush to your kitchen to get something so it kind of mimicked all of that but i'm still not used to it myself
3: imagine we're in lockdown even 20 years ago the lack of options would have technology wise Oh yeah,
2: not possible.
3: Yeah. I think we'd be all in MSN Messenger every night being like, there's <laughs> going on.
1: <laughs> you'd only be able to do it when your mum wasn't calling your gran and your dial-up connection was gone, though.
3: Nah, 20 years ago, you'd still broadband, potentially. Mm. 2000?
1: Did yeah, I have broadband? Yeah, you did. You did two 2000, that's true.
3: Uh, I didn't. I didn't have broadband until like 2003 or something. But, you know, in theory, you could be in MSN you- Messenger.
1: You could use that 0. 0.9 meg broadband to its full potential.
3: <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I mean, it's good that it's happening now. In all seriousness, I think the use of technology to keep people in touch, keep people talking, keep people doing stuff, that's been amazing. There's been so much innovating in terms of, like Aaron said, putting a convention online. Could you even fathom that even a couple of years ago?
2: No, it wouldn't have been possible at all. Yeah. Not even close. The best you'd got is forums. You just couldn't do it at all, really.
3: Yeah. There we go. That sounds cool. Brief diversion, but I thought it was worth hearing about and that's cool. That's well my done second
2: meal for... before.
3: Your second meal before.
2: Yeah. Yeah, I'll, I suppose I should shout out to TIGS and Scaled Con if anybody wants to look it up because they want to see how to do it themselves. I'm sure that group would provide a
3: Send me the link when we're done here and I'll put it in the show notes. Cool. Cheers. Okay, so Rise Against Time
2: Aaron, you have one? With all my time in lockdown, full of joy, I'm afraid, rise against... I suppose I might have to rise against the not being very good at being online for a whole convention. It was a challenge, but I think it's one of those things that I would get used to. Maybe I'm just too old. I don't know, actually. Do you have to be under 30 to live online? No, I have no idea.
3: No. I think there's a lot of people your age that live online.
2: My Can age? You say what your age is? <laughs> no, <laughs> no,
3: I no, I started no, no, that. No, no,
2: I called myself old, to let's game. <laughs>
3: I don't know. What's the average age of your average Warcraft or Minecraft player?
2: No, I don't know. Well, Minecraft could be about 12 or 7. but
3: yeah, It could equally be like 50. Yes. <laughs> we just don't know. Okay, so you're rising against adjusting to living life on the internet.
2: Yeah. Gaming on the internet, yeah.
3: Okay.
1: Chris? Yeah, I suppose I'll go for everything being cancelled because of coronavirus. <laughs> it's like, at the moment, we've got this nice little window where we're able to watch everything and see all the stuff that we want to see. However, I know that within probably the time that this podcast goes out, actually, there's going to be a sudden freeze to everything, because all production and everything is stopped. So there we go. I can rise against that, I suppose.
3: Yeah that's it's going to be interesting especially with TV shows because obviously with films you just bring them out later or bring them out on another platform. Mm. I can't imagine that Disney are going to release Black Widow on Disney Plus because they want to make a billion dollars and you're not going to make a billion dollars on Disney Plus by <laughs> releasing it there. It's just not going to happen. So
1: I think there's certain stuff that they've done quite well. You know, things like Artemis Fowl, for example, I think they're putting straight to Disney+, and, and things like that. However, a lot of these shows and a lot of these things, I mean, Disney+, is a great example where they've got all these things that are currently in production that are coming soon. You know, the big, the big selling features that they've promoted Disney+, Plus on.
3: Yeah.
1: And they are not going to arrive anymore.
3: Not in the near future, yeah.
1: No, not imminently.
3: The Arrowverse shows that were off, I think they'd come back with the remaining episodes in a couple of weeks. At time of recording, I have to to caveat that every time I say a time frame. Neil before pod is always bad at timelines. We don't know whether we're in the past, the future, the present. We don't know. It's anywhere and everywhere and nowhere all at once. That's like a tagline for the podcast, isn't it? (laughs) (laughs) I like it. I'm going to remember that and steal it from myself. So I think we'll get a couple of episodes of them. But yeah, who knows? I mean, we're going to have no summer in terms of film releases. I think Disney have pushed everything back, like Marvel-wise anyway, they've pushed everything back one slot, so Black Widow comes out in October or November, whenever Eternals was supposed to come out and so on, which makes sense. And I imagine if this goes on even longer, they'll just continue pushing things back one slot until such times as they can actually start releasing stuff. But yeah, the delays are going to be interesting. It's going to be interesting to see how they get around these things and how it's going to affect production of new seasons as well, because the new seasons usually start going into production around about July or something like that. Yeah. So.
1: I mean, it's even the cancellations and stuff like that. Uh, seasons that haven't had the chance to get going or shows that were sort of on their last peg. Yeah and now they might just go, oh do you know what we'll cut our losses now and just finish it it'll be the excuse or the final call for some of these programs I think in the same way it is for certain retail outlets and other such things unfortunately yeah. as it's sort of disrupting so many different bits.
3: Yeah, well I know with like Supergirl they'd start, or they had like, one or two scenes left to film on the finale <laughs> which is gotten <laughs> you know, because they could have they could have done the post-production remotely, because there'd been a lot of these shows, they've been doing that, actually. They've been talking about how they've just set people up to work from home and there's people doing sound mixes and stuff from their living rooms or from their bedrooms or whatever. So it's pretty cool that, again, the technology exists to be do- allowed to do that. But we'll see what actually comes out. We'll see how these things shape out over the coming weeks. But, yeah, I agree with you. It's a bit sucky, but at the same time, it's probably the least of what we should be getting worried about.
1: Oh, Yes. It's very far down the pecking order, to yeah. be fair.
3: Oh, no, The Flash won't get to finish its current season. That's the worst thing that's happening right now. Yeah.
1: Actually, it might be a Neil before now, actually. Yeah, You're turning the- me around <laughs> here, Craig.
3: No, it will have less episodes to put up with. And The Flash gets its one-per-episode kick in.
1: Oh, yeah. There we go. Yeah. For those of you with your Neil before bingo cards.
3: Yeah. I am going to rise against answering questions that are posed in films in supplementary material like comics or novels.
1: Great, I like that. Good choice. Good choice.
3: films. It happens on TV as well. In fact, we could get onto that with Picard in itself because that does have tie-in media, although I don't think it's as bad. The thing I'm picking on the most is Rise of Skywalker because there's a lot of questions that people had after that film, such as, how did the Emperor get so many Star Destroyers? Who is crewing these Star Destroyers? What's going on? What is this person? Who is this person? <laughs> All of these questions are answered in the novelization, and they shouldn't be because I'm not going to read the novelisation. I can barely stomach watching the film. I don't want to read the book. I think so, the, the, the novelisation
1: and a visual dictionary as well, did oh yeah, it, as got, well, that answered to, a ton of questions. Yeah. <laughs> like, who's this guy? All oh, right, here he is.
3: All the visual dictionary should tell you is, oh, cool, so the reactor of the Star Destroyer is here. You don't need to know that, but it's nice to know that if you want to know that.
2: Mm.
3: And they shouldn't be doing this, because it just encourages lazy writing. And it just encourages films to not be finished, and it's just rubbish. And also, I've read the answers, and the answers aren't good enough anyway.
1: <laughs> I'm totally with you on this. As soon as you said it, I was like, do you know what? I should have had that written down at some point. <laughs> I listened to a podcast on a different network, not Neil Before Blog, version that was about Rise of Skywalker. And they did a whole thing of, oh, well, who was this and what was that? And they're like, oh, well, in the dictionary, it says that this character did this or whatever. You know, like, hang on. Why is there some book that's explaining how this film works? I understand that if it's a film that's maybe come from a book in the first place, it's like, okay, there might be extra details in the Game of Thrones books that are not in the TV show, for example. But the book came first, so I can kind of forgive that. They should put everything on screen to explain it, but fair enough, it's come from a book. But so Star Wars details. is a film, yeah, yeah. Extra stuff that maybe fills in a little bit of background, but doesn't explain major chunks of plot that have you sitting there going, "What? Hang on, we gave Rise of Skywalker a, a bit of a kicking on the podcast already, and we've done,
3: <laughs> we did a lot of that. Let's do a podcast on the novelisation. what well, novel. yeah,
1: let's do one on the <laughs> novelization, exactly. <laughs>
3: Yeah, but it's not, uh, you don't have to read the novelization. It's like, oh, I got my information from this internet post. So, you know, that's what they're doing. <laughs> you don't have to do this because we'll answer it here. And yeah, it's nonsense. I mean, extra details, background details, as you say, that's fine. As long as you don't need it to understand the story. So, yeah, you want to read the Game of Thrones novels and you want to understand the backstory of this thing or this person that appears once because that's in that book, but it's mm. not relevant to the story being told. That's fine. That's something extra you can get. Um,
1: Exactly. It works for Game of Thrones or The Expanse or any of these other shows that are based on novels. Then Hunger Games, all those sorts of things. Now, there's so many of these books that have, have been turned into great films or TV franchises. It's worth checking out. But when they try and retroactively fix something in post in a book, then you go, oh, that's not on screen. It didn't happen. As far as I'm concerned, it doesn't fix a film when someone goes, Oh well, I think you'll find a novelization version. That explains that. No. No, no, oh, yeah, no. It wasn't on screen. Wasn't on people screen. People use it as a defense so as
3: well. When you're yeah. like, Well, this makes no sense. Oh, it's in the book. So <laughs> great. And I'm gonna read this. Why? Yeah. Well, because yeah. it explains this, and it's like, no, you've just ruined your own argument there. If you
1: watch half an hour's worth of deleted scenes, you'll see that yeah. it's explained, and they, I'm like, well, they put it on the cutting room floor. It failed. I'm sorry. Yeah. They, they they put it on the cutting room floor, therefore they never explained it properly.
3: It's not in yeah. that two and a half hour cinema experience that I had, so it's not relevant as far as I'm concerned. Exactly. Aaron, do you have a view on this?
2: Well, I need to agree with you. Yeah. That's good. Okay.
1: Yes, embrace your hate, Aaron. Embrace it. <laughs> I've still
3: not
2: seen the film, so actually I can stay
3: away
1: oh, really? from
2: the bit.
3: Yeah. Just read the novelisation, it's apparently sure. so much more.
1: Yeah, if you read the novelisation bit, that, that, I think that's the solution. You've got to read the novelisation and then watch the film.
3: Get the sure. audiobook while you're supposed to be working and then listen
1: to that instead. That's what you do. You mute the film, but you listen to the audiobook.
3: <laughs> that sounds horrible. So that's it. Let's move on to our main event... Star Trek Picard Season 1. The return of Jean-Luc Picard to TV screens after 18 years not on screens. It's a big deal. Although, is it a big deal? We'll discuss. Chris, what did you think of Season 1? This is the non-spoiler section. so The non-spoiler
1: bit. I had mixed feelings to this i was really really excited to see picard back on screen again and i knew it was going to be different i didn't know how different and i feel there were certain bits where i was anticipating and it just kind of fell through for me and i think it's something about the way these new trek shows are being made and the way the storytelling's worked and i'll get into that later on i think overall i've probably got to come out and say that i enjoyed it however with tons of reservations i think i say this all the time on the podcast is that sitting here and dissecting the show makes me come out and say that i hate it more than i probably did i watched it every week i didn't drop it halfway through therefore i enjoyed it
3: okay that's a nice, succinct, non-spoiler summary that teases what you're going to say soon. Mm-hmm. Well, <laughs> Aaron, can you follow that up?
2: I can only follow that up by saying the same thing as I think I said throughout most of the, I don't even know how to refer to it, something else we've recorded but haven't actually released yet. So I'm going to sound in the future like I'm saying the same thing over and over which is or that, the all the past which is that i really enjoyed the opening and didn't enjoy the finish which i think it sounds like i'm more dissatisfied with the conclusions of writing than anything else but i do think it stands up here in that it has loads of promise at the start mystery as well and lets you think you're heading towards something new different exciting or even just familiar but then the payoff at the end didn't really do anything for me.
3: Cool. I'm along the same lines. I was really excited about it before it came out. And even the first couple of episodes, I was fully on board. I was really enjoying it. It was great seeing Patrick Stewart back in that role. It was great returning to that world, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. But as the season dragged on and as we got towards the end and when they started answering questions, I just found that the answers weren't good enough. And I feel like it ruined the show because the build-up wasn't going anywhere. And at the end of the season, I'm sitting there thinking to myself, would this have been worth watching had Patrick Stewart not been in this as Jean-Luc Picard? And I just have to answer no. I just don't think it would have been good enough. I don't think it stacks up against other stuff that's on, other sci-fi stuff or other, in general, TV shows. I just think it's a fairly poor effort overall, I think. And I'm really disappointed to be saying that. It's not where I wanted to be at the end of a season of Picard. But here we are. So, on that note, should we descend into the spoiler section? Go to spoiler alert. Ooh, spoiler
1: alert sounds cool. Let's go for that one.
3: Let's go for spoiler alert, yeah. So... Let's just start with Picard. He's the main event. The show is about him. His name is in the title. Patrick Stewart is the lead here. So he does have an arc through the season. Do we think it was a worthy return? Do you think they should have done this or should have just left it? And all this chat about Patrick Stewart saying he said no like six times and had to be talked into it. And then they found a story that he just couldn't turn down. Do you think that's all just bluster? Do you think it was worthwhile? Chris, start with
1: you. It's interesting because we saw him speak at Destination Star Trek in Birmingham. And we saw him talk about the show and how excited he was and how they had to coax him into appearing. And, you know, he'd been presented with so many scripts that were absolute nonsense and didn't take it anywhere interesting. And he got this and he signed up right away and he was totally hook line and then in it and signed up and executive and producing and all that sort of stuff. And I'm not 100% convinced that's true when I look at this. And I don't know if they changed their mind, now that we're into the spoiler section, I don't know if they left it that they would get partway through and decide if this was the end of Picard or not. If this was going to be a one season and we're wrapping up this character front, or if it was always, oh, we're going to get to the end of this and he's going to die but not die and then carry on on more adventures with his new crew that he's gathered. I just, I don't see that being the end point of this. If you try and sketch out this story and roughly present it across a table at a dinner party, how do you even begin with that?
3: Yeah, I agree. I think it was supposed to end with his death, and then they changed at some point, probably when CBS said, we're going to give you a bunch of money to do another season of this. And then I think at that point, stuff must have changed because it does seem to be going a certain way, particularly in the final episode, and then goes another way and doesn't earn it. And so I think you're right. I think there was supposed to be a bit of finality to it that didn't really happen. And now we're getting another season of it. Like I said, I don't think... This would be worthwhile at all if Patrick Stewart wasn't in it, if Jean-Luc Picard wasn't the main character. I think it's a difficult one. I mean, I probably wouldn't have wanted to see the story play out if Picard wasn't in it. I think Patrick Stewart was great. He remains great. I don't like the way Picard was characterised much of the time because I think they made some severe missteps with who he is and who he used to be. And I know people will say it's been 20 years, things have to change, but there's things that you would just willfully ignore and... You know, I wouldn't believe that Picard would ever do that, even with these 20 years of whatever he experienced, through most of which he sat around his vineyard and did nothing. So it's almost like, what's he been up to for the last 20 years? Kind of almost nothing, really. Other than this one event that really spurred his hiding, I guess. So, yeah, it's a difficult one. It's something that we'll explore for sure.
2: If I preface everything with it opens differently to how it closes then I'm going to say yes, because the story not only revolves around age, it also revolves around somebody, and it needed somebody who was once useful, powerful, and dynamic, i.e. the metaphor of youth itself, and has now moved into old age, which is threatening to bring us all low, and therefore you lose that power, So add on to that 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 is contrasted with uh, synthetics who, of course, don't get old at all and don't suffer this problem. And I think you've got the perfect placement for Picard because he was the head of the enterprise the flagship of the federation he was the one out there making everything happen and now he's gotten old and the federation doesn't respect him and he's gone and he's left by the wayside and of course he's got data as a connection which gives him everything well not sorry not just data he's got data and the borg which gives him the perfect connection to synthetics So he is absolutely, definitely the right and potentially only character I can think of in the Star Trek background that can answer both of those needs. Obviously, you've got seven of nine that can answer the second need, and you've got characters of previously like Spock and his father who I know aren't available anymore. But those characters could have been accessing the age storyline, but I find it difficult to believe that you'd find somebody that could do both age and synthetics without using Picard. So it opens absolutely perfectly, and he is the central character to both the themes of this show. I'm going to have to emphasize that, though. It opens perfectly. I'm not convinced it closes perfectly, because I don't think that by the time you get to the end of it, you are focusing properly on these two promises at the start because that sort of problem that comes with age is really lost in the plot lines they try and develop with the youthful synthetics. It's referred to in voice, in text, but I don't think they follow through on it. And the yay moment when Riker comes in waving the flag of the Federation isn't earned. So this whole idea of is youth more important than age. Oh, no, age has got experience and can bring you back in when you need it. Well, it it, it didn't really earn that. They just sent messages into the void and Riker answered. So opens perfectly, but the two themes at the end had been so lost that it, at the end point it didn't need Picard, but it did need him to start with. And I think that's a big shame that that was lost.
3: You can tell that the showrunner Michael Chabon's a novelist because in those early chapters in effect he sets up so many things that would make up for great exploration so you've got as you say Picard's age you've got the fact that the universe has moved on without him he's been hiding for the past 18 20 years or 15 years in the timeline of the show because he was still active for a fair bit between Nemesis and now it's only I forget the time scale that they say in the show it's like 10 years or something like that he's just been rotten away on this vineyard of his. So you've got that issue. You've got the whole fact that he doesn't believe that the Federation is standing up to their own ideals at this point. You've got the synthetic ban and all the questions raised about that. You've got the fact that his brain abnormality is causing issues for him. You have all of these things that don't really amount to much by the time we get to the end of it. I mean, the synth ban is weirdly just thrown away with a line of dialogue that you might miss. That's so baffling because it seemed integral to the background of the universe at this point and it's like oh yeah the synth band that's lifted that's fine don't worry about it
2: well i think that's the slight difficulty with the setup again it's interesting to hear you say that the guy who wrote it is an author because it ended up being a star trek episode i think it ended up being an enterprise episode by the end of it because you set up all this lovely stuff and then after the final adverts, when there's only 10 minutes left and you get quick resolution and the uh, the epilogue where everybody laughs over a game of poker, it felt like that. So they do set up all their stuff. And it's a different type of show in the same way that Discovery was a different type of show and it was very welcome. But then when they say, we're going to close it like we would any episode of the 90s or 2000s, star trek you think oh i kind of didn't want you to go back to that are you thinking that this would make me happy that it would be a remembrance of times past and i think i've been promised so much i didn't want it to end on that happy pleasant remember when you were a teenager watching star trek note i think it's one
1: of those things where it goes in and this is what i was saying at the beginning in the sort of spoiler free bit is this new way of telling stories in star trek it's you don't do episodic shows anymore where you do little episode storylines and maybe there's a little bit of through line that builds into a bigger arc. Now it's more like something off of HBO or whatever where you've got to have some underlying sinister plot that envelops the entire program on the way through. I mean, Discovery does do the odd episode where they'll go, oh, actually, we've forgotten about the main plot this week. We're off doing this this little diversions come in that we're we're doing but mainly it's about building up this big conspiracy, this big you know, villain building element to the whole thing. And that's not the traditional Trek. And like you say, Aaron, when they get to the final episode, they go, well, we don't know if we're going to get another one of these, so we've got to tie it up into ribbons now. So it turns out that the ban is gone because that was one person's decision. That was the head of security's decision. And now that it turns out, that they were a terrible influence this entire time. We've rescinded that, and everyone is absolutely okay with it. After years of being told that synths are evil and are out there to kill us all, and they destroyed colonies on Mars, they destroyed shipyards, they killed tons of lives, everyone has now decided that it's totally okay because there's this planet of synths. It just doesn't fly, because they go with this realism angle where they go, oh, well, this is Trek now, This this is the way it is, It's not this idealized world where everyone's happy and everyone's got whatever they could possibly need and they're exploring because that's what they want to do. That's them benefiting the common good and going out and doing it. They've done this version where they've went, oh, no, actually, it turns out it's darker out there than you thought it was. This is a darker show, a darker world. It's not all happy like it was in the good old days. It now turns out that there's consequences to actions and everyone's had a realism bump. And they just can't follow through with it because in the end they go, oh, actually, it turns out that now that we've solved this problem, everything's back to the way it was. We've got Riker in charge of an entire fleet. Picard is going to go back to the Federation and it's all absolutely fine. Because they couldn't leave the simps a secret or do anything like that because now they've done, well Picard's a synth so they can't send him back to the Federation otherwise so they had to finish that storyline, they had to tie it up and I don't think it leaves it in a satisfactory way.
3: I mean some of this will depend what they decide to do in season 2 season 2 could be about the whole how do people react to the synth ban being lifted but I would actually like to see a longer discussion about do we lift the synth ban? what difference did these events really make to it other than we've discovered a planet of synths and one of them decided they weren't going to wipe us all out that was nice but about five minutes before they decided not to wipe us out she was well set to wipe us out so
1: well it's too late they've already sent the signal in my head that signal was sent received that little portal opened and they now know that there's synths in that place they don't know why the signal was cancelled So as as far as they know, in that last episode, the signal was cancelled because someone killed all the simps on that planet.
3: Yeah, and there could be something about their coming, but...
1: Oh, yeah, I mean, the the thing is, they've left it in a way that they can do this now, and they can go, okay, well, now they're back and they're doing whatever.
3: Although, do we really need more apocalyptic scenarios playing out? I mean, I'm so sick of them. Like, when the reveal came, where it's like, So there's this admonition that we can experience and it shows us since destroying all organic life in the galaxy, it's like, oh God. So Picard has (laughs) to save the universe now. Brilliant. How many of these have we had? I mean, that was the plot of season two of Discovery for crying out loud. (laughs) (laughs) That's true. It's an artificial intelligence, but it's the same thing really. It's as in something that we created wants to kill us and that's the plot. But, I thought the first episode was a stunning piece of work in terms of how it set things up and how it moved things along. And I always come back to that interview scene because I think it's so rich. In that scene, you get so much information. You get this information about, well, the interviewer brings in a bit of bias because there's that great line where she says about Romulan lives, and Picard corrects her with no lives. And that's the distinction. So that gives you an idea of how Isolationists, the Federation have started to become, even though they are still made up of like hundreds of species. But you know, we don't like Romulans; they're weird. It's a conceit you can sort of deal with when you are thinking about it. Because yeah, we don't trust the Romulans. Why were we going out of our way to save the Romulans? You know, and and when this big threat was so close to home, and it was pretty clear that that interviewer was afraid of synths as well, because kept asking questions about data. Did you ever have reason to doubt them and things like that? Mm-hmm. so that gives you an idea that maybe people out there don't trust synths so you suddenly lift the ban it's like what the hell are you lifting the ban for <laughs> <laughs> it
1: is that is why why are you doing it and i get that that interviewer part i could see what they were going for they were reflecting sort of our modern world now where you know you'll get newscasters that are going in with a biased view you get countries now where it's Oh, no, we'll deal with us first. We fix our problems. We don't have time to deal with anyone else's nonsense. We fix our state. That sort of Trumpian view of the world, and even what Britain's done with Brexit and stuff like that. No, 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 it's about us first. You know, if it benefits us, we'll do it. If it doesn't benefit everyone else, we don't care. It's, if it benefits us, we'll do that. And I get that's what they were trying to push out with the beginning of that. And I think that's where I agree with what Aaron said and what you're saying about the setup, this building, quite an interesting thing to start with.
3: Yeah, and then it just loses the rag by the end, loses the Stardust City rag. (laughs) Exactly. (laughs) And to your point about the episodic nature of previous Star Trek, which was of its time and it worked really well, and actually I think the perfect type of storytelling for a Star Trek series is what Enterprise did in its final season, where they had micro arcs of two to three Mm. episodes. Here we'll tell a complete story in those three episodes, but we also have time to let it breathe. That's perfect because that still allows you to have connected stuff going on, but also allows you to play around in that episodic format and you don't have to wrap it up in like 45 minutes or however long your episode is. But I think this season tried to have its cake and eat it too because it kept diverting things. For example, the fourth episode, Absolute Candor, it's Picard is finally out in space and it's, now he's just gone off on a random tangent for some reason so you can <laughs> get another member of the cast that we haven't met before and then it feels weird, although I was happy to accept it because it gives you a bit of extra information on the background. This is what the Romulan society has become following the supernova. Here's this group of Romulans that believe in being truthful against the fact that They're known for their secrecy. This was all great stuff. And I accepted it for that reason. But at the same time, it was time away from the arc. Apart from the fact that in that episode, you had Soji and Narek sliding down hallways in the Borg cube, Hmm. which is just, (laughs) yeah, it's just weird. And the fact that we spent so much time on the Borg cube with the same scene essentially playing out over and over again, how many times did Narik and Nerissa have that same conversation? So if you don't get results soon, I'm going to have to step in. Give me more time. Fine, I'll give you a little bit more time. The next week, <laughs> you're going to have to speed this up. It's like, yes, but I need a little more time. Fine, more time. And this dragged on for ages. And this is all time in your arc, but it's wasted time because you're not using it well, because you're just repeating the same information over and over again.
1: I kept feeling that they introduced the Borg cube too early, that it was like they did it two episodes too quickly. I was absolutely fine with them doing the initial thing in episode one where they go, oh, there's another. And they go, oh, there she is, she's on a cube out there. But I didn't need to then see every episode oh, what's going on back on the cube? Let's find out. Oh, they're falling in love. Oh, right, great.
3: And let's you know, have that tracking, zooming shot of going inside the cube every time. Is <laughs>
1: <laughs> but it was one of those where they just went for it too early. Could have just held off and then did little bits building up rather than, oh, let's dedicate chunks of episode and take you away. Especially when they spent so long before getting Picard off of Earth as well. Yeah. As much as I've said already that I enjoyed the beginning of the season and I'm setting it up, there was a part of me that was like, get him off world already. He's done enough on Earth. I know that we're wanting to see that he's there and he's sort of hesitant and introduce us to all the characters and everything in the in the situation. But get him away, get him moving. The original it,
3: it, plan was for those three episodes to only be two episodes.
1: And, I, and it felt like yeah. it by episode three. Yeah. <laughs>
3: I felt it too. The interesting thing you were talking about how maybe introduce the Borg Cube first of all and then come back to it later. I actually think they could have left that whole thing for later because from Picard's point of view, early on in the season, it was, you know, okay, there might be another android out there, but who knows if she's still alive? And then in the next scene, let's go to the Borg Cube where we know that she's still alive. You know, if we're going to be in Picard's point of view... I would have liked to see that a bit longer. You know, leave an open question as to whether Soji is still alive. I mean, of course she is going to be, but I think it would have helped with a bit of tension. Yeah,
1: success. so you don't you don't find out that she's alive until they do the funky stuff with the terminal yeah. and find out all the emails or all the messages and and trace it back.
3: I, I mean, think that's you a only good point. One scene where then you'll have one episode where they can have that conversation about you better get results, but <laughs> I need more time. <laughs> So it's, it's an odd one. I think it's an oddly structured season because you do have these diversions. I think in some cases are useful. Absolute Candor is an episode that I quite like because it tells you a lot about the characters and the world, but at the same time, it is a diversion from everything else that's going on. So let's get on to Picard and I guess his past. So there's a lot about his past. He's wanting to relive his glory days in a lot of ways, go back out in one last mission. It's essentially the plot to All Good Things, but without the shifting timelines. He needs to do one more mission because he wants to save this mysterious connection to data that he's just found. And it's all fine in that respect. I kind of like to see an arc where Picard goes back out into the universe and then finds out, actually, I'm right to be stepping away. It's not for me anymore. Because a lot of these times you do have these coming out of retirement plots where they decide, oh, I should have never retired. But I would quite like one that sort of ends with, yep, happy with the fact that I should be retired. I was in over my head here. And he keeps admitting throughout that he was in over his head as well. Aaron, come on to you first. What did you think of the way Picard's past informed his present and where it all went,
2: if anywhere? Where it all went, that's the tricky thing, isn't it? But I mean, the thing of it is, he's, whereas you might have seen it before, I think he's the right character to never retire. And there's that very important, well, it seemed important to me scene where he meets Kirk And the advice from the older man at the time was never let them take you out of the chair. And it's such a moment, whether it's iconic or not, I don't know, but it was such a big deal for me. And the whole point of the captain of the bridge of the Enterprise can actually change the course of the galaxy's history is a very important part of Star Trek as was. Yes, we've gone into totally different things with discovery and so on, but given that Picard is part of that older setup, I don't know, maybe it would have been an interesting thing for him to have had to do something completely different to STNG, but I don't know, I don't know if that would have been too rude for it to have been completely different. I like the fact that it was a more up to date, a bit more brutal. Obviously, that's the thing I've always said across all of these podcasts that I like, I like it when it gets darker, but. I don't want it to be totally dark when it comes from source material that is that bit brighter. So I think Picard then is the right person to come out of retirement and say he never should have gone because it fits his character so well. There is no reason why that person that we saw from all those years ago would say, I'm done now. I'm going to retire. You know, there's, this whole, Sway is a plot line that's based on, I never had children. I mean, that comes up quite a lot, even into the films where obviously he loses his family to the fire. But in many of the episodes, it's a plot point. He is definitely out there to stay. He knows who he is. He knows what he wants. And he knows where he can do good. And I like the idea that when you get to a certain age, that the physical nature of the world literally biology, starts to make you more tired and you think, oh, should I reconsider it? Is there a different way I should be going now? And you have to be awoken by your own ideologies, your own dreams to say, no, you don't have to give in now. You can actually keep on doing what you're doing. Maybe it's in a different way, but you do carry on with who you are. And I can't see him being defeated by that. I quite liked the idea that it was such a big deal. I mean, it's the loss of a planet full of people and it's the loss of the federation that he knew everything he fought for in his career, he thought had been destroyed. And I could see that would send you onto your vineyard and you wouldn't want to come out because you're slightly pouting, but also what can you do if all of your worlds bigger than worlds, actually political, entity turns against that ideology but then you have to realize that well if you believed in it that much you've got to be part of bringing it back which is again one of the plot lines that is teased at the start but then when you come to your ending even though you get that resolution it's another thing as Chris was saying doesn't feel like it's earned so right character right plot line Even though you might have seen it before, it was something that fitted him so well, I wouldn't necessarily have wanted it to go a different way. But then when you say, do they get to this end point? I would say unsatisfyingly so. Correct end point, but in a way that we've spent so long doing these other things, as you've said, that there's kind of no room for it to be developed into a satisfying character arc and therefore final point. It's the same thing I feel like I'm going to be saying through everything. You're going to ask me a whole bunch of questions and I'm going to say, thought they set it up beautifully, but then at the end didn't feel like it was earned. Obviously, I'll try not to be boring by answering (laughs) that to every single question you answer, but I feel there's a danger there.
3: Yeah, so a couple of things there. You talk about Kirk's advice to Picard about don't let them promote you, don't let them transfer you both of which he allows to happen in the time since Nemesis. He lets them promote him to Admiral and he goes away from the Enterprise to do the Romulan relief effort situation. So maybe it's part of because he's not on the Enterprise that the universe hasn't played out the way he wants it to. But there's also a sense that his idealism is somewhat naive, because I really liked the conversation he had with the Admiral, despite the unnecessary profanity in the second episode, where she talks about, no, 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 it can't just be oh, we're still doing this mission no matter what. There's this whole political structure we have to think about. Ten member worlds wanted to leave the Federation over this. We couldn't resume this mission without losing them, and we weren't prepared to lose them. So there's that. You always got the sense that there was these machinations going on in the background, as in people had to attend long conferences to discuss what the Enterprise got up to last week because they created a political situation, but you would never see them. And they would never really get referenced other than now and again. But in... That episode, it was, no, here's the reality of the situation we're facing here, and whether you think it was morally right or not, it was a difficult political decision that was made that benefited the Federation. So coming back to that insular, this is all about us, it's not about anybody else, we'll fix ourselves and then we'll worry about other people type situation. It's all interesting. and
2: I think that's an important part of this plot that's set it though it's part of this promise that i talk about because i'm quite happy to believe that picard was part of an older version of the federation when anything is growing and expanding everything is new and shiny and everything gets swept along i think you can see it in the rise of empires where empires seem to have loads of success when they're really building, your armies are sweeping everything to, to the side. And you can see it in corporations. When a corporation is growing and powerful, it just seems to be eating up its competitors and having endless swathes of sales that aren't blocked by anything. And I can kind of believe that the Federation followed that same set of rules. Whilst it was still growing and meeting new planets and meeting new polities, they're all being. Absorbed into it quite happily because there was lots of good stuff to go around and Pekan could be part of that. Oh, welcome you! You come in. Oh, it's brilliant! Come here, let's have a party, and it would really work out as that expansionistic phase. And then all of these entities suffer when they reach that critical point. And even though I know what you're saying is is has to be true, these meetings were going on in the background. You could believe that they were sort of being easily developed, easily dealt with, problems easily overcome. And now we reach this point where the Federation is no longer growing, expanding and absorbing easily. If the Federation is going over a bit because it's having trouble now and they're having to do more politics. I can believe that they've changed, but Picard hasn't. So he's still thinking we're on this upswing where you can do what you want, you can bring everybody in, and we can make it all right in the end. Whereas the administrators know for certain that, no, sorry, the good times have gone. And it actually matches with his age plot. He's still wanting it to be as it was when he was younger, but he's been left behind as things have changed without him. So it's another thing that works perfectly with this setup of Picard and his age really getting in the way of what he wants to do. <laughs>
3: We have a surprise appearance We've just got reinforcements that have warped in With a copy of the same ship About a hundred times behind them So, Nick, welcome Good evening Welcome to the Picard discussion Late, but you're here
0: Better late than never Indeed, indeed Frequently late, late, actually, but we'll not go there
3: (laughs) So, yeah, welcome back Haven't had you on in a while How are you doing?
0: Glad to be back. Yeah, I'm good, Uh, busy, and things are kind of crazy at the moment, but that's the world at the moment, isn't it?
3: It is indeed. We gave you a shout out, a couple of podcasts back for your fundraiser for Intrepid, so how did that go? You did,
0: and thank you very much for that. Well, actually, it went very well. We passed our target, so we got funded. Yay! We've actually rolled over, so our campaign's on in demand now, so people can still donate if they want to. Don't feel you have to. We did make our target, but... We've left it on in demand for now.
3: When do you expect the release will be?
0: Well, we've filmed the interior scenes already, so the next plan is to do all the exterior shooting. But obviously, with the whole COVID nineteen thing at the moment, we plan to shoot over the summer. That may or may not happen, so we may have to push things by a few months. I don't know at the moment. The plan was to have it finished for next year. That might get pushed again a few months, but just have to wait and see.
3: Well done on reaching your target, and hopefully, thank you you very much.
0: Thank you for your support.
3: Oh, well, thanks for having my name in the credits when it appears.
0: And it will be, believe me. <laughs> Everybody who donated gets in the credits. There we go. Unlike <laughs> some campaigns, um, <Bam. laughs> Let's not go into that. I'm just being funny. Yeah. Don't worry.
3: So the point we were discussing before you warped in mm-hmm. at random, we were just talking about Picard and the setup of the character, where he is in the world, where the world is, and how he fits into that. So what's your sort of view on... Picard coming back do you think it was worthy do you think the world around him was set up well do you think what they do with it is any good
0: that's interesting and I think as well you know you ask any fan that question you'll get a million different answers I'm a big next gen fan I mean next gen is my series even though I'd grew up with the original series next gen is my show and people can argue Picard versus Kirk but Picard is my captain I was super excited that Picard was coming back super excited And there was a lot of space there for that to be disappointing. But I have to say, overall, for me, the show's hit most of the right marks. Some episodes have been stronger than others. But yeah, absolutely, I think it was completely worthy. I think I love the story that they were telling. It's different than what we would expect from watching Next Gen, but I think it's a completely valid continuation of that universe and certainly of the journey Picard was on. And I think they've taken Picard in a new but familiar direction. So it's nice to see him not be quite so perfect. I like the whole Picard allowing perfect to become the enemy of the good, I think was a very, very apt story, direction to take things, especially with the way the world is these days. And we often do allow perfect to become the enemy of the good, don't we? And I think seeing this older Picard, this slightly, maybe not bitter, but slightly unhappy Picard, who walked away from everything when he probably shouldn't have, finding his, not physical youth, but finding his emotional youth and his vigour again. And I I find it very interesting to watch Patrick Stewart's performance from the first episode through to the last one. And, I mean, you see him start, and he's much more kind of stooped and older. And as it goes on, you see him getting his vigour back and becoming more the Picard we know. I, I mean, he had some amazing moments, even things like when he first meets Rios, and Rios says, They told me you're a speech maker. I know people's feelings are very much split on it and some people love it and some people hate it and some people are very much on the fence. But I do think the people that wrote this and produced this show watched Next Gen and admired what they did and they played to a lot of the strengths from it. I was blown away by it. I loved it. Loved it.
3: Cool. So on your point about Picard and the mistakes he's made, and the fact mm-hmm. he admits to some of them. I was on board with that. And A common thread that we keep coming back to is the fact that the start of the show is much better than the way it ends because of the things that may or may not pay off. So, yeah, he did hide away for ten years. You know, Raffi calls him out on it when he looks her up again and says, you yeah, you could have called. You could have called to say hello. And I guess at that point he's like, yeah, I probably should have, which mm-hmm. is interesting. But then when you have it later on where he's still acting like that, so there's the... Episode, I forget which episode it is, but Rafi speaks to one of her former friends or whatever at Starfleet to get mm-hmm. the diplomatic credentials to get on the Borg cube. And she's very clearly at that point, she's struggling, she's drunk, she's not in a good way at all. And Picard's just like, all right, thanks for getting me the credentials, and then lets her slink off, and it's Rios that has to help her. So mm-hmm. the fact that he'd never seemed to learn from these things and never seemed to make up for... Behaving that way just didn't sit right with me.
0: I feel in a lot of ways that is true to who Picard is. And one of the things they do touch on is the fact that he does tend to be emotionally distant from often the people closer to him. But you saw the difference in his behavior with Riker and Troy, and he was different with Rafi. I agree with you in that that is uncomfortable, but I think as human beings, it's difficult to change. And I think he becomes aware of this as a problem and he acknowledges it, and to an extent he changes, but that's still a part of who he is. And I don't think you can take that almost inability to sometimes empathise with individuals who are close to him. Maybe empathise with him, but that inability to connect in that way with people who are close to him, especially people who are his subordinates, is not unusual for Picard. And I don't think it's something he'll ever get away from. I think it's not an unusual trait. And I think sometimes people find it very difficult to even open up and say, oh, you're suffering. And you may think, oh, I should do something here. How do I help this person? But you don't have the emotional tools to do it. You know, that sort of, oh, you're in pain. They're there. That's likely, I don't know how to deal with this. I'm going to pat you on the back kind of thing. I think that's very Picard. So I agree with you, but I think that is just who he is.
1: It's interesting that you say that because, I mean, Troy had the line, I'm sure, on the planet where she said, you can't just run off to the ready room here. You've got to Mm -hmm. speak to us and tell us what's going on. Mm -hmm. So I think it's a good point. He's used to keeping everything in a box Mm -hmm. and not sort of releasing it beyond his realm because it's captain's privilege, captain's being told only kind of thing. And and he
0: can't do that anymore. That was one of the things I liked in the episode with Riker and Troy because they weren't his subordinates anymore and they basically told him what they thought. And he took it from them, that lovely scene where he and Troy first see each other again. And you just know from her reaction, she doesn't say it, but she knows he's dying. You can tell it in the performance there. She knows it's like, you're not okay, you are dying. She senses that.
3: Yeah, and I think the show was at its strongest when it leaned into the TNG roots. I wasn't hugely interested in a lot of the new stuff, but whenever Mm -hmm. I got reintroduced to something somewhat familiar so let's catch up with the Rikers and see what they're up to I thought that was great stuff any of the scenes that had data in them were great
0: I agree a lot of those scenes were by far some of the strongest the show had I mean the data scenes were really well done I know some people criticized the Riker Troy episode for being a bit slow I loved it I was great interaction between these characters and it was spot on
3: Whenever
1: they cut away to the my cube, I was like, ugh. I did have to laugh, though, when Riker threw shields up around the house. I didn't know if he was going to come back at some point in the finale, and as soon as they said that they were sort of hoping for a fleet or whatever, I was like, okay, Riker's going to be back now. But at that point, I was like, was it just so they could throw in a
0: shields-up line or whatever, you know? I think they did not a very good job of hiding the fact that that was going to happen, when he basically said... Oh, I'm on active reserve. Would you ever come back? Oh, it would have to take something big for me to come back. Oh, yeah, like a season finale, perhaps. And
3: then they put his name in the credits. Yeah, I mean, <laughs> the they pretty answer.
0: much telegraphed that one there.
3: But, I mean, I didn't
0: bother. I mean, that was fine. It was like, oh, yeah, Reich is coming back. Yes, Reich is coming back. That'll be good. And, yeah. So I cheered when Riker turned. I was like, "Yes!" It was a very quiet cheer because it's weird if you're sitting in a room and you cheer just randomly. But you know, it was a very quiet. Like, yes, Riker's back. Um, the
3: logistics of that moment are a bit off, though, because from that point of view, wasn't Picard on Nepenthe like a couple of days ago, and they took a shortcut through a transwarp conduit? So, like in that time, Riker had to contact Starfleet, say, "Give me a ship." In fact, give me like a hundred ships, and then get there just behind the Romulans, but. Yeah,
0: maybe they took the transport conduit as well.
1: Yeah. yeah. Give give me just enough ships. Well, how many have they got? I don't really know. So, like overreg it a bit. Let's say they maybe turn up with 80, so we're gonna need what a hundred and yeah. you know.
0: The fleet of, of virtually identical ships was yes. a bit kind of like, really? You couldn't have thrown a galaxy and a couple of sovereigns yeah. in there. Also, but, uh, you know what? I don't care. I was just so happy to see these characters back. And enjoying the interaction. And I liked the new characters as well. I was so wrapped up in the story and what was going on. I didn't really care. I kinda of like, oh all the ships are the same. Eh, you know what? I don't
3: care. Also, remember the issue that we had earlier in the season that we had to cancel this rescue effort because we didn't have enough ships.
0: Yeah. Again, I'm like, well, you know what? That was 14 years ago. They've obviously <laughs>
3: They've ramped up production since then. since then. Yeah. <laughs> They've learned how to copy and paste. And
1: I read, guess so, yeah. Uh, they they yeah. went to Dyson and they said, you know
0: what, we're running out of ships. Can you throw us together some? Yeah. I mean, I probably would have gone for smaller fleets.
3: Yeah, do you need that many ships to sterilize a planet? And yeah. The Romulans have five sterilization protocols. At least five Yeah, But
0: you know what? These are all nitpicks. I, think, I just <laughs> love the hell out of it.
3: Yeah, so we're kind of talking a bit about Picard and his past. And I don't think the Borg are used particularly well in the overall context of the story, but I think Picard's connection to the Borg was used really well. Although there was a bit of a weird bit for me when he completely dismissed the whole notion that people could return from the collective, despite the fact that he did it, Seven did it, and she was in the previous episode, and then it existed so he could learn that lesson later in that same episode, but he should already kind of know that.
0: But then they did a similar thing in First Contact as well. They dealt with Picard's trauma and all these kind of things throughout TNG and family and that kind of thing. And i Borg as well. They dealt with a lot of Picard's trauma with that. Picard went back to First Contact. And all of a sudden, he's like gunning for the Borg again and he hates the Borg and he's got a vin- It's like, but he kind of worked through this stuff on the series as well. Yeah. So those- I mean, I guess we often think we work through our trauma and we don't. And it comes back to haunt us later. So again, I do agree, but I kind of see where they were going with that.
3: I think it'd be different if Seven of Nine wasn't standing next to him, you know, just a few hours ago, kind of thing. As living proof of the thing that he's... Well, I, I guess awesome.
0: from the point of view that we don't see an awful lot of Borg coming back. Yeah. And then finally being confronted, well, actually, yes, we do. But I guess it's one of those things, but same as your bigotries are stupid, Jean-Luc, Grow the fuck out up sort of thing and i guess sometimes confronting people with these things is what knocks them out of their blinkered worldview
3: yeah and i wish they'd done more with the borg in general over this series because i feel like you could have almost done without them in terms of what they were trying to get across
0: i think you're right and to an extent it almost feels as if the borg were there just to introduce seven into the story but then you could have done that without having the borg involved as well
3: But Seven could have been anyone as well. She doesn't specific enough, I don't
0: think. But it could have been. But there's no reason why it couldn't be Seven. Yeah. Although, actually, one of the things that does occur to me that I think the reason the Borg were there is I almost feel like that was Alex Kurtzman trying to tie up loose ends from the 2009 movie. (laughs) And to be fair, it kind of does. To me, it was one of those ones where
1: you see it and you go, my sort of sceptic view would be, if you include the Borg, then you mm-hmm. get to include the Borg in your trailer or a little tease or a little shot, and it will get people excited. There's probably an element it's of that not, well. It's not necessarily 100% the story demanded that it must be the Borg.
0: Oh, I agree. Because
1: even the sort of reasoning is, oh, we needed to find out about this trans-warp conduit. It seemed to be about it. I can't remember what the actual line was about why she was there in the first place. Mm-hmm. You know, it's like find out a little bit about other AI, other sort of Android kit, essentially. Mm -hmm. A little bit of discovery session going on. But that seemed about it. It just didn't need to be the Borg. And Craig, you're right. It didn't need to be Seven of Nine. But I don't know if it's one of those ones where, again, it's, well, what'll tease people? Well, if we get Patrick Stewart in it, we've got to get some of the TNG cast back in, obviously. Let's throw in someone like Jerry Ryan that will get people excited about it. It didn't need to be that. That could have been another character. Or they've introduced enough of new bridge crew, for want of a better term to use. So you didn't need someone else. You already had someone that was supposed to be a sort of fighting combat expert. You already had Hugh giving you the Borg connection to activate the Queen Cell and escape and all that sort of stuff. That was already there. So you didn't necessarily need Seven of Nine in it.
0: Well, you didn't need any of those things, but it's just that Mm. those were the elements they chose to include. I do think that the inclusion of the Borg was purely so Alex Kurtzman could tie up some of his loose ends from the 2009 movie. But then I do wonder, was Seven included in that originally? Or did they decide, actually, oh, we could throw Seven and Nine into this. She was really popular. So I think you're right. I think some of these decisions were probably made for marketing and for fan service. I think some of these things grew out of the story naturally. And some of them were partly that and partly fan service I
1: also don't know if some of it is sort of floating stuff out there, there's been all this talk since Picard finished about, oh we'll maybe do a Seven of Nine show now mm-hmm. and I'm like, well were they just dangling lots of stuff in front of people and going, okay, whatever character people sort of engage with, then that's our next spin-off out of this
0: Could be. You know what, I would totally be down for Seven of Nine Fenris Rangers show <laughs> but actually, they do kind of imply that Seven's joined the crew, of the, uh, I was about to say Rocinante, that's not right the uh, La Close Serena.
3: <laughs> technically, it's just, <laughs> technically, it's just La Serena. La means the so.
0: mermaid, isn't yeah. it? I think. Yeah. 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 La Serena, but yeah, not the <laughs> Rossinanti. Although you know, similar,
2: very similar. Can I jump in on the seven to nine thing? Yes. I think the Seven of Nine did need to be there and I think the Borg also needed to be there for the two plot themes that we were talking about at the beginning because they are actually incorporating both of them especially because Picard used to be the Borg. I will say that I don't think the Borg were used well enough to bring out those two plot points. This is the I said I wouldn't say it over and over again, but I, I did promise I'd come back to it. But that whole promise that's set up is tackled by Picard being offered this immortality in the Borg and then rejecting it. And it is a potential way forwards. It's also mirrored in the use of the synths because it's something that was given to a group of people and picard doesn't have it at the start this ability that you will lose all of these problems you can actually have youth and relevance if you were one of these new brand spanking new life forms so you've got the borg where it was done badly and he rejects it and now his endpoint is where he becomes a synth and it is the perfect culmination of these two themes coming at the end again i'll say i don't think it was earned i don't think they developed themes to it i think at the end they just say oh yeah we've got these two themes quick turn picard into a synth and it works but if you think about what was going on throughout the season there are points where the writer is bringing in things that could investigate age getting older being left behind trying to show that your experience is still worth something and the way that synth could change that and one of those is the appearance of seven of nine very specifically her being not a mother but effectively a mother which she tells us in her bit of exposition and that's actually part of the problem because they don't necessarily do a lot with that it is just her coming along and saying to the bad guy i was this and it was that to me it's not a proper exploration of a theme where she has to go through it and discover it herself, it's just given to us. So it's almost like, here's a brilliant thing that we could have done in detail. A character who was the Borg, did have this synth set up, did have access to immortality, but got rid of it, more than got rid of it she was shown by humans why getting rid of it was a good idea and has now embraced one of the factors of age which is really relevant powerful important which is parenthood that is one of the things where you can show oh my age has relevance my age has importance i can pass it on to the youth so she's someone that said being a synth was great and all but actually i reject it completely and it's something that in theory as Picard moves to becoming a synth at the end of the show, she could give him a perspective. She could be the embodiment of one of his choices, and he could go, ooh, do I want that, do I not? And one of his choices in the end of episodes could have been, do I go down this route that Seven of Nine has embodied? But whereas I can see that when I analyze Seven of Nine in the plot and what she can and can't do, and whereas I can see that when I analyze the plot of the Borg and what they can and can't represent, it always comes down to this, but they didn't do anything with it to really expand on that, to show you Picard going through it, giving him a choice to make. It's just a, and here's a plot point moving on. And it's such a shame because it's that promise that was in the early episodes is repeated constantly. Every time they actually introduce a new character or a new plot point, it brings you back to those promises And it offers you something else. It's what's egging you on and making you want to watch even more. And I think, unfortunately, then at the end, you think, oh, but really do loads with that. He didn't really do that development. So I actually would disagree. I think she's really, really important for the plot, as of the Borg, specifically because of the connections to Picard. But I think we don't get to see enough of it because it's just told to us too quickly and therefore you don't really get to go through it yourself and really gain enough from it.
3: And there was a few things they could have done with Seven that would have been specific to her as well. There was the whole promise of her connecting up to the Borg cube and I'm going to have to make a micro-collective, but the Borg on this cube aren't choosing to enter it, so this is wrong. and so on. And they just kind of consistently do nothing with it. I was getting the impression that seven plugging herself into borg technology again would be somewhat significant for her but it ends up not being all we really get is the borg cube showing up on the synth planet at the end and having long-range sensors
0: i think the problem they have there is actually too many things going on so it's difficult to resolve all these things and it may be things they'll tackle later i think that's a very reasonable point there and I, i certainly don't disagree with it I'm not 100% convinced that's the direction they were trying to go with it. I think that's a very clever direction to go with it. I'm not sure they put quite that much thought into how they were using the Borg though. I don't know. I don't know. I think it's it's a very, very very good Well, Maybe it was
2: something that was thought of, but maybe when it came down to it, somebody didn't quite know how to do it. They saw that connection and thought oh, that makes so much sense, how can we use it? But in the writer's room, it, it sort of fell away under bits of paper. I've I mean, I suggested I-
3: that there was supposed to be a long sequence of Borg going after the Romulans on the cube, but they just didn't have the money to make it happen, so it didn't happen. I
0: think as well, you could still tell that story, but you wouldn't have needed the Borg basically using Seven. Sure, okay. Yeah. I can, I can but again, that. I think you're right, I think the Borg were not integrated into the story as deeply as they could have been and exploited as deeply as they could have been but maybe that's something we will see later I don't know, I don't know
1: (laughs) (laughs) It's one of those ones with the Borg cube, with them approaching the planet Mm -hmm. I was thinking, oh well they're going to hold off the Romulans for enough time for the Federation to get involved or Mm -hmm. there's going to be something, (laughs) there's a reason for this cube and then it's like, oh no, they just crash land like everyone else. <laughs> they get taken out by giant flowers and then that's it. They're gone. That's it. They're out of the picture. They're not really needed it, for it the rest was very, of this it,
0: it, it was kind of almost pointless that basically they took the cube all the way there so it could crash. So Seven could kick evil Romulan woman down a shaft.
1: The thing is, that could have happened before they took the cube. Part of me thought she had beamed out an escape to one of the ships... Me Before the, the ships so had well. got away, I didn't think she was still on the cube. I it thought was she was very, already that, gone. The <laughs> thing
0: is, that was very strongly implied by the way they cut that scene. Yeah. Because she beams out and the ships leave. That was very much the implication. It's a
3: waste of Peyton List, that character in general. She's really good in other things I and mean, she's just evil. If she had a mustache, it'd be twirling Romulan.
0: Yeah, she was very much playing Cersei Lannister.
3: I don't really know who that is, but cool. <laughs> Game of Thrones? Yeah, I don't watch it. I've never watched. Oh, jeez. No. Oh,
1: yeah. Okay. But
3: well, not. We'll get the then. reference.
1: He's, yeah. he's got time to catch up during
0: lockdown. There's a few seasons <laughs> yeah. for you to go through, Craig. Yeah. She was. She was totally channeling Cersei Lannister, and her brother was totally channeling Jane.
3: I do wonder if budget became part of it. Actually, you know, the the more Star Trek changes, the more it stays the same. In some occasions, I got the impression that there was some serious money being spent on Picard, but not very often, actually. Most of the episodes were hanging around on sets, and there's not that many effects shots and things like that, which is fine. TNG was famous for it, for example. Let's make use of the elements we have to craft a really good story. I like that. You don't need the bells and whistles and things, but if they did run out of money and they had a better finale plan that would have been more budget-heavy then didn't get to do it for whatever reason, that's... One issue, but I don't think they compensated it for it very well. But yeah, Chris, to your point about the, yeah, you know, let's have a Borg cube in orbit as a deterrent for these Romulan ships. That would have been amazing. This massive cube, all these Romulan ships, and yeah, this cube can destroy them, so let's not fire yet. You know, we have to assess the situation, etc. So,
1: it seems like, you know, a half capacity cube might have held them off long enough for the Federation to come in, and then you get a bit of Borg redemption in there. Yeah. which seemed to be what they were aiming for. That You've got this micro-collective, they've managed to get rid of the Romulans off the Cube, the Cube is now going to defend this planet Sims, and okay, they get taken out and they drop out of orbit at that point, but it's delayed them enough that you get Starfleet involved, but then instead they sort of tweak it so that it's Picard going out and doing the multiple ship mirage kind of thing to throw everyone uh-huh. out. I don't know. I kind of have the feeling that's how it's edited. And, I, and Craig, you're probably right, there's probably a bit of budget reasons and stuff in there. It's just, yeah, you sort of see little plot threads that you're like, well, that might have been where they were going, and then they had to drop it partway through because they got told about the budget, and then they just had to stop.
0: Maybe.
3: What about Picard becoming a synth? So that's how he oh. ends the season. He gets his brain downloaded into a synth body. To my mind, it's not too different to what the Borg did to him, because, to be fair, he gets to keep his own memories and personality and so on, but it was still done without his consent. And,
0: well, he was dead.
3: Yeah, but <laughs> it doesn't seem like something that the Jean-Luc Picard we know would be outwardly comfortable with. He wakes up in his new body, and then it's, it's like, I'm not a mortal, I? Am I? That was his I really concern.
0: That I think that it's all well and good people saying no until suddenly they die, and yeah. So I don't know how would any of us react in that position. Yeah, you think you're about to die, you die, and then you wake up in a new body. I think I'd probably be quite happy with that. But I don't know. <laughs> Till it happens to you, you don't know how you're gonna react.
3: <laughs> the, <laughs> the thing if it was is, Andrew, for... he'd be very happy.
0: <laughs> <laughs> I'd be very happy.
1: <laughs> the thing is, for me, it's like it seems that the whole season is building up to. He's accepting his age. He's accepting his place. He's mm-hmm. accepting that he's got to give up his life to delay this Armada to solve it. That's what he's got to do. He's got to show them that he's willing to sacrifice. Not all humans are bad. Not all humans want to see him suffer. All that sort of stuff. And then that's unwritten by the, oh, well, we've just brought him back after his sacrifice. It's like it's building up to him accepting, oh, I know I've got this brain condition and I'm going to go, but I've accepted that's going to happen. Mourn me later once I'm dead kind of thing. And then they go, oh, well, actually, what we've done is we've built you an entirely new body and you're going to live for years. Off you go. It
3: makes all those grief scenes a bit pointless.
1: It makes you think, okay, so where's the scene in between the scenes where you see them rocking back and forth in tears like and, they, and drinking and drowning
0: their sorrows? A bit short in places. Yeah, it it's like, where's the debate? Bit, and I wonder if maybe there was more to that. I don't know. It, it did seem a bit odd and a bit kind of like, he's dead, everybody's grieving, and now, oh, we're back. Yeah. <laughs> and, and there was nothing in between, because it feels like there needed to be a couple of scenes in between where everybody goes, oh, we've revived you. You're back. It jumped from everybody's morning to, oh, he's back, and nobody even reacted. So I feel like there's a missing scene or two there.
3: I love the moment where he was brought back and it's like, I'm not immortal, am I? And Soon's like, relax, man. Everyone was paying attention. It was just a really funny moment.
0: It was a fun scene. Yeah, Yeah, you have superpowers now. (laughs) Yeah, there is a missing scene and a missing debate there, I agree.
2: Yeah. I haven't quite worked out what the two themes, when they come together, naturally end up at and what choice it gives the character that he must make, especially because as you say, he doesn't even get a choice but it could be that there wasn't a choice designed for him to make and the two themes didn't have some sort of great challenge to overcome and reach and actually they've just come together literally in that he becomes a synth and he is relevant again And I think that's a big missed opportunity to say something, especially because it opens with those two themes saying, we are going to tackle both of these things. And then by the end of it, you think, do you actively give up on those? Because it feels like that that is really a shame. strange that it's almost perfect that he gets to be the synth, but he doesn't get to be the synth because he is too old and he doesn't get his youth back. So why bother making him a synth if he's not going to get the youth
0: I agree. And part of me kinda of thinks what I would prefer if they would just not gone with this whole oh, he's got the brain abnormality, he's gonna die something which by the way, when he had that brain abnormality the first place we find out about that, it wasn't gonna be something where he was gonna suddenly die. He was gonna go senile and fade away. Well was it not, not that really it could have lead a brain to a hundred, and It, it die.
3: could lead to any number of things which includes I that know but, you then, know yeah. that.
2: That threat is very important to the whole idea of age brings you low, though. That's a massively important consequence. But I do feel that they could have done that without making
0: him synth. I don't think the question of his mortality was necessarily that important to this. It wasn't so much about Picard's mortality as much as it was about who he was, his place in the world as it is now, and him losing his place and finding his place again. And I think they could have told that story without him having... An incurable brain condition, or having to be reborn into a synth body.
2: Um, I'm not.
0: I'm not invalidating the choice they made by any means, because it's a perfectly valid choice that they made. But I think it could have been done differently.
3: Well, the Riker episode set that up, where they talked about our son had this disease, but if there'd been a synth brain to do something, Mm -hmm. it would have been been curable. I thought they were going to do something like that.
0: Yeah. Well, well, that would have have been a natural.
2: Yeah. Indeed. But That's what I mean by there's all of these promises of plot that comes in and say, we're investigating this angle, we're investigating this angle. And they constantly throw angles at you that could be investigated, that could be part of Picard's choice at the end. And his final point, is he older? Is he young? Is he wiser? Is he naive? And naivety also comes from the sense that he's fighting against you know every single thing is brought in as a this is relevant to these themes and these plots but because he doesn't get that choice even and doesn't get to go through it it's crazy to see them thrown in that part there where they introduced the boy who died should be a big deal for Picard at the very end moment where he thinks right I can live through this if I want by becoming a synth am I prepared to pay that cost but and then, the, the characters themselves say, "Oh, we were listening." No, you weren't. No, you clearly <laughs> weren't. You didn't listen to any of it because no choice was made there. If you the know. card that made that choice, you would
0: have to rewrite the ending because he sacrifices his life. He willingly sacrifices his life. He chooses to die. Oh, yeah, I'm totally up
2: for it. I think that that what you said was true. You have to rewrite the the ending. I think think you you can actually say that as one statement. That just has to be true.
3: Well, I think the synths being a key to curing him would have been a better tie into that. I agree. Because the season ends with, he has a new body that's basically the same as the old one, except it's artificial. It'll expire at some point in the future.
0: They could have done that without putting him in a new body, you're right.
3: But it could have just been... Actually, I've just proven how worthwhile synthetics are because if it wasn't for them, I would never have got rid of this brain abnormality mm-hmm. that's bothering me. And then it could have ended much the same way, except Picard could have been on his deathbed and soon could have been like, "Actually, we could use this technology to save you, get rid mm-hmm. of this thing." And he would have just had to make the choice and say, "Yes," or and
0: would have been a much neater solution.
3: Yeah rather than you've got this new body, but don't worry, it's kind of not that different at all. Mm -hmm. It's almost like the TNG thing of, oh, well, we'll just reset to how it was at the beginning of the episode. It's almost Uh like that Data's 200- or 400-year-old head or however Mm -hmm. old it was. You know, He's got a head, it's like centuries old, but it's the same as the old one, so it's fine. But the fact that it's centuries old isn't ever going to cause us any problems in the future other than the fact that this had to happen.
0: Mm -hmm.
3: It was an odd ending, I think. It was
0: odd. Came I'm okay
3: as a with it, so meh. <laughs> so Soji, she's essentially our other main character. The show is essentially about her. I had difficulty with Soji. I think she was inconsistently written throughout the series, and it's weird that I still found Daj more interesting, despite the fact she was only in you know half an hour of the show. Basically, the problem was, as I said earlier. I think there was too many scenes where there was repeated information being told so she would have similar conversations with narek and it took too long for her to realize who she was and what she was and then by the time you get to the end of it you don't get a real sense of her fighting with her sense of identity for very long and then suddenly she has to make this big choice at the end where she has to kill all organics or not i don't think any of it's earned really because you don't put the time in
1: with soji i kind of Feel the same as you, I didn't connect in the same way. I kind of had the feeling of the same inconsistency. They never seemed to settle hard on what kind of memories she had of Picard or what information she knew or didn't know. It's like they could ramp it up or ramp it down depending on the episode that you were in. It was like, I remember everything about you, and I know that Data loved you, or whatever. Or then she would go, Oh, no, I know nothing about anything, it's fine. You know. it didn't flow as well for me a bit like you, I kind of agree with it taking a bit too long for her to figure out what and who she is I didn't quite get the planting of information in the background It's you've been sent to subtly acquire information, you've not been given orders to find information, it's just we've subtly planted somewhere in your subconscious the fact that you're going to go and get some very non-specific information so it means that those initial episodes, and we've already talked about the sort of Borg drop-ins in the early episodes it just seems a bit pointless, you don't quite get what she's aiming for, what she's trying to get. She has a conversation with Nerissa's aunt it is the aunt, isn't it? It's not the mum, it's the aunt yeah, so she has a conversation with the aunt, and there's the whole thing about them playing the game and talking, just don't face her and all that sort of stuff. But you don't really get anything out of it. Or at least I didn't. I don't know if anyone else picks up on grand oversight from that. So, but so
3: I'd completely forgotten about the fact that her and Dash were sent with a purpose because it's not as if they came back with anything useful. So that was weird. And I think it took so long to get her and Picard in the same room that there was no time to develop a connection between them that meant anything. You know, they shared what one scene, pretty much, one meaningful scene in the eighth episode where they talked about data, and the rest of the episode they don't really interact that much. I think the best work with Soji was, again, in my favourite episode of the season, the Riker episode, where she spent all of her time with Kestra, and Kestra became her big sister, in effect. I think that was brilliantly done because the you know the mind of a child Kestra was asking her the questions like can you bend steel can you do this can you do that and you have mucus that's weird and it's all these questions that she has rattling around in her own brain that she's kind of afraid to ask and you've got this precocious curious child just throwing them out there because they have no filter I think that was beautifully done but if only there'd be more like stuff like that I think
1: Yeah, I kind of agree. I like the exposure in that episode and it was kind of, this is someone that's asking me questions but isn't really pressing me for answers. There isn't a sinister purpose behind the questioning. It's just almost vocalising what's already in her head. The questions that she's asking herself. Yeah, And that is part of the story of her is that she's made to be a lot more human than Data was because that's always what Data wanted was to be more human, you know, to have mucus, you know, stuff like yeah. that.
3: Aaron, what did you think of Soji or Dash or both?
2: They were both a map. That's all they were. They were the map for Picard to follow to the end treasure. And I think that's a big shame because... Again, if I go back to those themes, they should have been offering some sort of perspective on those themes, which would have been that youthful naivete where you don't know what's going on because you're too young. And I think it's quite telling that they had to use another copy of Darj and Soji. I think, hang on here, Sutra, which is essentially the same character and it, that character did not need to exist. That was Daj's place at the end, or oh, Sergi's I've forgotten which one's which now, actually. I think Soji should have been the one at the end making all the choices, deciding who to betray. She was the one throughout who was the epitome of youth and naivety, and the androids at the end are that. That's the problem they have. So the idea that there is Sergi and Sutra sort of fulfilling the same role at that final point, but... One of them is quickly playing with a computer to put together a jigsaw that builds the weapon of mass destruction while the other one is killing somebody. I think merge the character together and then she's one of the bad decisions that Picard is of course going to turn against because he's older, because he's got wisdom. He can see the way through this path of pain that they've lived on and try and convince her not to go on it. And because she's shattered into these pieces, I think that's why you're getting this. She doesn't seem to do anything. She doesn't seem to learn anything. She doesn't seem to be X, Y, and Z. It's because she doesn't have that clear purpose in the plot. And for most of it, as I say, she is a map. And she does interesting things. As you say, playing around with the kid of Riker and Troy is important because it is that, hey, we're children. They do that very importantly. They say, you are the same as me. You are the same age as me, effectively because they are both children in that world together and then when you come to the end they've got loads of androids who are all the children and so yeah that theme that purpose is shattered out so far you can't see it so it's the same thing as i have now bored you with set up something good give me a a meaningful plot point but then somehow kind of lose it or dilute it i think a bit too much i'm not sure
0: i would agree that Soji and Sutra really need to be merged, unless you want to completely change how those scenes go. I think we already have one character in there who commits a murder and we have to kind of hand-wave away her redemption. So I think if Soji was the one that kills the other android and tries to set things up to turn everybody against Picard and Co., I'm not sure that works quite so well, and I don't think it becomes quite so easy to redeem her I think
2: we need guess, to expand I think, well, Sutra rather than I think... well I take you at what you said actually when you said unless you want to rewrite these scenes and I would say yes I do I do want to rewrite them because I don't need the murder I don't need any of those points I think I just need to see someone torn between two things I think I can see somebody at the end who is simply torn by if I follow this choice then my people are wiped out And I'm scared of that. Or I go through the other choice and I risk Picard's experience being true, but how can I do it? So I would actually rewrite the whole last bit to take out some of those problem elements that you raised.
0: Well, if you're taking out the murder, then I would completely agree with that.
3: I think they kind of proved how pointless Sutra was, really, when she just got turned off and that was the end of her. She's never, well, she's defeated, but she's not defeated, if you know what I mean.
0: I do think it was just an attempt to give Soji her own lore And if she doesn't come back lore-like in a later episode, I'll be very surprised. (laughs) (laughs) I mean, even if you look at the performance, she was even channelling bits of lore at moments. Yeah,
3: I think there's nothing wrong with Issa performance. She's brilliant, I think, throughout. I think she's not given the best material to work with, but she creates three distinct characters, two of which she doesn't have a lot of time with, and one that's problematically written. So she's very, very good, and I think she's a welcome addition to the universe and the franchise as an actor but i think they needed to have a bit more of a through line for soji for sure i mean it didn't help she was spending most of her scenes with narek who wasn't very good either so we have other characters some new some not so new i liked rios a lot i think he was the best of the new bunch i don't think they needed to link him at the main plot by being like oh yeah i found those androids and uh, my captain was ordered to murder them in cold blood that was a weird thing and it just made the universe feel a bit small. But I really like what they did with Rios. I think Santiago Cabrera is a really good actor in terms of what he did with those holograms and things. That was, you know, it was really well done. Yeah,
0: I liked him. I think he was definitely one of the standouts. I agree there was a bit of small universe to it, but actually I thought having that bit of backstory for him and that previous history with the Ibn Majid, I thought that did add some context and some depth to the story itself so yes it was see, a wee just, bit neat and wrapped up with a bow but it worked for me and I he was very good be- all across the board. I actually so.
3: couldn't believe that, that such a thing would happen though because if you look at any prior iteration of Star Trek if you know, if any of the previous captains got a communique from Starfleet saying see those two people you just brought on board I want you to kill them do you think any of them would have actually done it?
0: Before they added section 31 to the Star Trek universe I would agree with you I- could completely see that in the post DS9 setup I could see that happening
3: I don't know I don't think your standard captain who has those ideals I don't think would I mean they did say he felt upset about it and ended up killing himself but still
0: they gave him an impossible choice to sacrifice his crew or sacrifice two strangers yeah. you can believe that there would be a crew out there, like you say, you've got these
1: different sections out there, you'd believe there would be a crew out there that would happily destroy that entire ship to kill the two people that are on board, mm-hmm. which means that that captain would believe that that's possible as well mm-hmm. and presumably has maybe heard stories about such things happening. I do kind of agree with you that if you were seeing this, this would normally be the captain receiving that order to kill two people and instead hiding them away on a distant planet somewhere and helping mm-hmm. them escape. That's the plot that we would normally see in the show i do think it was a bit too convenient to be going oh yeah i totally remember her and now that i see her i've got this sketch that i did at the time this courtroom sketch <laughs> of when they met because it's been playing on my mind ever since i think he deserves having a good backstory and a good story i just didn't necessarily need to see it i think they say enough when they first introduce him that they go oh he's former star fleet he's got his own ship now he's a bit fractured and this is represented in the fact that he's got all these different personalities roaming the ship in the form of these holograms. That was enough for me. That kind of introduced me. I think he did great at performing all those different personalities. One of my favourite scenes is when they get them all into the room to discuss Rios himself. And they've got all the different holograms that all have different parts of the story <laughs> stored in them. I thought was really, really well done. Sort of built up all these little individual characters up until that point, so... Yeah, I appreciated that, I think he did a good job I think he was a good addition to it And one of the more interesting characters in there
3: There was in the Breaker episode where Picard got asked about his new crew And he was like, yeah, they seem to have a lot more baggage Than all you lot ever did <laughs> Which is, you know, it's obviously it's a reference To 90s storytelling where Everyone takes all these horrific things They experience and they're fried and they're back to work The next week, but you don't get that now And that's a bit of a difference And then you had the whole uh, Rios what's your ETA It's like the same as the last two times you asked <laughs> he doesn't put up with the constant requests for updates it's really good but I'm looking forward to seeing more of him I think I want to see him develop a bit more and, uh, and
2: Aaron did you enjoy Rios he's exactly the opposite of the rest of the show for me in that I thought he opened poorly and then turned out to be really good as you got to just see him Because he opens as Mr. Exposition telling you all about his past and why he's so upset and traumatised with a hand on his forehead. And then, actually, when you get to see him play out in his various distracted and traumatised parts, he's very entertaining and very good. So I agree with Chris. If they'd have just stayed showing him and letting him play himself, he would have always been good. But either way, yeah, by the time he's actually properly introduced, he is definitely a good character.
3: Yeah. What about Rafi? Uh, Picard's not Riker, former first officer. Although you only find that out in an Italian comic or something. But they used to work together and now they don't and she's one of the most damaged people you've ever come across in the Star Trek franchise, I think. I had different views of her throughout. Sometimes I would like her, sometimes I would find her quite tedious. Ultimately, I just think that she settles on being alright, but she's a bit... Plot functioning in a lot of ways,
0: I think. That's true, actually. I would agree with that. I think the actress did a good job with her. She was good sometimes, not some other times. It was nice to see someone who's has some mental health issues there, I guess, and someone delve into that. But I think they put the pieces there, but they didn't really delve into it very deeply. She's a slightly superficially written, I guess. I liked her, and she had some good scenes with Rios, interestingly enough.
3: They had a really good rapport,
0: yeah. Yeah, and I felt she was at her best more with Rios than she was with Picard in a lot of ways. She's not perfect, but I think she develops into a solid character, and I think she'll get better when they have more time to develop her and maybe delve into her better. Mm -hmm. Um, She's got an interesting enough backstory. It's just they touch on it, but they don't dig into it deeply enough, I feel. And she's almost a little bit too much of the kind of... Cliches, conspiracy-obsessed type that's slightly on the edge.
3: There is potential there for sure. Chris, did you like her? Yeah, I did, really. I don't really
1: have a problem with many of the new characters that were introduced. I did like her. She does seem a bit more damaged. Like you say, you don't really get the full extent of her history with Picard. You get to see a bit of them sort of outside Starfleet chatting and that sort of suggests that she's sort of first officer but you don't really get a big bit of the history. They did the short scene with her son but didn't really, you get a bit out of that you see how sort of broken she is at that point I like that they used Rios to pull her back rather than Picard. I thought that sort of built that relationship a little bit, but I don't really have that much to say apart from... One of my few things is when I start picking at these things, it's normally more plotty things, and it was a bit of the utility belt hacker, I can get into anything and get any information that you need right now sort of aspect to that. But I suppose if she's been a sort of specialist
2: in Starfleet, then she would have that kind of skill. Yeah, uh, I did like Raffy. I thought she was introduced well, had a more interesting background in that it was played out more on screen in the flashbacks, saw a bit of a downfall, saw her broken, understood why. So generally speaking, she's probably one of my preferred characters of all of the setup. But I would agree with Chris, the mother son plotline should have been kept entirely for Seven of Nine, and therefore it would have been more relevant, would have been quite happy to see the effects of Rafi's fall into despair and mental unwellness Mm -hmm. in season two.
3: So Elnor. I found Elnor a bit weird because obviously they took an entire episode to introduce him. You've got that kind of almost father-son dynamic with Picard and then he just kind of fades into the background and he gets taken off the ship pretty quickly and he doesn't really get a chance to do anything. I think he was fine and I liked some of the brutally honest remarks that he would make where he just didn't understand what was going on so he would just say what he was thinking I think I think that was a really good t- it was almost Drax-like you know from Guardians of the Galaxy except not quite as stern but I think the season could have almost done without him Weirdly, but because they introduce him and then they make a point of introducing him and then don't really do much with him.
1: With me, it was, like we've made him childlike, but we've made him a warrior. We want him to be a killer, but we want him to be a softie, but we want him to be naive because he's not been off the planet, but we want him to be street smart enough that he can win a fight and not be taken down easily. It was like they couldn't, they couldn't decide what way they wanted to go with it for me. Yeah.
3: It's I do like the, the idea of Romulan warrior monk, so
1: that's... that's I, I mean, yeah, I'm, I'm all a society of warrior monks, why not? And I kind of like the mystique of, oh, well, they'll accept your cause or not. You've basically got to pitch what you want to do to them. yeah. And then they get to decide if they'll join you or not. It's not that you go and you buy their services. You've got to go and sort of explain what you need. And then they get to decide to accept your challenge. So I did like that, but I didn't see overall what they were doing. And you said earlier on about that episode itself, it kind of diverts off route and goes, well, let's explain... Another little bit of what happened. Let's show Picard going back thinking he's going to get the great welcome of, oh my God, you've returned after all this time, and then being bitterly disappointed when he sees it's all fallen to pieces. I kind of got that, but it also felt like a bit of a waste of episode. And then introducing a character who then, again, when you get rid of sections of the plot that make no sense, that's another character that just goes, just disappears because there's nothing accomplished with it.
3: Well, and Elnor is Elvish for basically Star Trek as well, which is quite funny. <laughs> I can't remember the exact words, but it's the same space journey or something like that. But it's, it's quite funny. Aaron, did you like Elnor or are you indifferent?
2: Elnor and the Romulan plot line was something that I saw at the start and really wanted to see because I love explorations of background. It was something I wanted to see in Enterprise, see more of the Vulcans. So it's everything I wanted to see, but not in this story that was about synths. I would love to have seen all of those monks played out in a humans helping Romulans versus Romulans fight. And I think I would have found the whole thing tighter if it had been human villains with human good guys and synths having to sort of be in the middle, being pulled apart by this battle that shouldn't be happening around them. So loved the Romulans, but actually would have taken them out of this plot line entirely and then built another storyline purely examining Romulans being, well, Romulans having to deal with the loss of their planet and tre- and having to deal with humans being their saviors and really not knowing what to do with this racial identity given that their enemy has now become their saviour and having to deal with that. Some of them thinking it was great Some of them struggling with it, therefore the second lot would have been the villains. The first lot could have been the neutral people in the middle or the good guys. So really liked them, but didn't get to see enough of them and actually would have given them their own series. Season two Romulan, season one since, would have suited me better.
3: And then there was a proper opportunity to do some interactions between Elnor and Narek because they both represent different aspects of Romulan culture and they don't really share any scenes together, which is odd. But it's just an element that probably didn't really need to be there. Nick, did you like him?
0: Yeah, it was all right. I like seeing a bit more expansion on Romulan culture. I like seeing them portrayed as a little less homogenous as a species in general yeah. because that seems to be a common problem in Star Trek. But yeah, I was fine with it. There's nothing been said that I would disagree with. Yeah, I mean, that could have been explored in a entire season by itself. So again, it's the usual problem that I think they've tried to cram maybe a bit too much into. 10 episodes but then that was often this case with a single episode yeah. being wrapped up in a neat bow in 42 minutes or 44 minutes so I don't know um, I think it's just a nature of the beast
3: I think you got enough of that tease of Romulan culture through Laris and Jaban as well who weirdly disappear and I wanted to see more of it actually because I liked them in the first three episodes
0: hopefully we'll see them next season
3: yeah just find out if they got the harvest done you know
0: They were certainly some of the high points.
3: (laughs) Touched on Narek. I didn't like Narek that much because, again, he was saddled with these repetitive scenes of him having the same conversation with Soji or his sister. Although I liked him being this rogue element running around in the last couple episodes, just kind of getting in the way and throwing rocks at starships and things. In fact, next season I just want to see him standing around throwing rocks at starships. That's all I want to see from him.
0: I didn't mind him. He was a bit whiny, but otherwise he was fine. (laughs) He's fulfilled his
3: purpose. Yeah. Although he just disappears after he tries to convince Soji not to destroy the universe, and she ignores him. He's never seen again.
0: There's apparently a scene that they cut, I don't know if they filmed it or not, where he was taken into custody.
1: To be honest, if it signifies that he's sort of done his time and that character's gone, then that's fine. Just don't bring him back in the next season. (laughs) Yeah. If they then go, oh, he's actually... Actually, he's been, he's been sitting in prison, plotting his revenge the whole time. And you'll be like, oh, well, why didn't you show him getting taken away to prison or whatever in the last one? If yeah. that's him done, if that's story done, then fine.
3: I'm sure that Narissa would have used her personal escape transporter to survive her fall anyway. Maybe. <laughs> yeah. God, we've got to put up with her again, probably. Oh. Aaron, did you like Narek or is it the same as Elnor? Leave him for later.
2: I actually liked him because he was conflicted. They had at least two good conflicts in there that... Could have been really interesting if played out a bit more so. I liked him more than Elnor, I think, because he had greater dimension, but what you've just said is true. I want him in a Romulan-dedicated season by himself to make the most of him.
3: Jurati, which as a character I had a serious issue with because she's forgiven for being a murderer and she's all over the place throughout as well, killing Bruce Maddox, which is a bit of a deep cut for callback with a new actor for some reason. And I think she needed to be more significant than she was, but they just kind of left her. Kicking about in the background. She was
1: a plot device. She was you know, a plant that was used to sort of move different bits of plot along. That's why she's so bits and pieces. I'm kind of a you. She sort of gets forgiven and it's, oh well, you can carry on your research here now because you've found a place where synths are proper and you can investigate everything you want. I liked elements that they did of sort of her wonder and excitement about going into space. But then the fact that she has that brainwashing that she can get out of her head and then goes, oh, actually, I've now got rid of that now. So it's fine. I can help you again. Sims aren't all bad. I can go to an entire planet of Sims. I'm cured now. It's fine. It's aversion therapy. You've surrounded me with them. There's nothing I can do. So I'm over it now. It's all right. (laughs) It seemed a bit bitsy.
3: And now she's on the crew and probably not getting put in prison like she should be.
1: Yeah, now you're the doctor and you helped in the end, so it's fine. She's another one on my list of, I don't really want to see this character again. They've served a purpose, they served a role in this. They were a specialist in synthetics. They are no longer needed. That's done. We've done
0: this plot line. Off you go.
3: Yeah,
0: ne- Maybe they'll follow up on some of that stuff next season. But yeah, I kind of agree with the points I made already. Yeah.
2: Aaron, did you have any thoughts? I think she was part of the religious aspect of it that I would have dropped entirely. I didn't need the mystery to be religious and spiritual as to why we couldn't understand it at the start. I wish the people had just been secretive and they had a good reason for what they're doing and that would have come from removing the Romulans altogether and had a group of humans that just hated synthetics for some reason. They kind of had their own reason for that, good or bad. I dislike false mystery. I dislike religion being used in science because they can't think of a good mystery plot and her character was used and abused by that. So, I don't know that I disliked her or wouldn't have wanted to see her in the plot line, but you needed that religious aspect to it to wipe her brain to really explain anything about what she did. And I think that's a shame. Yeah, I liked Alice in Pill, though. She was really good. Yeah, I've no reason not to like or use the character. I just think that If you'd have taken out some of that false mystery that's caused by the religion and just had somebody who was confused and suddenly didn't know what to do with synthetic life. Say your entire life is built around designing artificial life. And then someone comes along and says, here's proof of every other civilization in the galaxy being wiped out by synthetic life. Do you think humans are going to be different right now? You decide, do you still want to give birth to this new race or not? And it becomes this horrific choice where you have to abandon your entire life's work. Rather than kill somebody, you just have to choose to go against yourself entirely. And I think I would have preferred that level of threat rather than a religious mystery.
3: Yeah, that's fair. So that's the new guys. We had a few returning faces. I think Hugh was used really well when he was used. And I like that he was introduced and they didn't make a fanfare about who he was. So new viewers could kind of latch onto who he was, but they shouldn't have killed him I think that was a mistake because there was still so much more for that character to give and his death was pointless as well it didn't serve any real purpose other than leaving Elnor out in the wilderness a little bit. Yeah,
0: that's fair yeah. Um I would rather they hadn't killed him off as well
3: Yeah, Especially since him and Jerry Ryan are best friends in real life
0: Yeah, maybe they'll bring him back
3: <laughs> Yeah, possibly uh, Chris Aaron, did you like Hugh? Do you think he should have died? Or I
1: liked him. I liked the way he was used as sort of a bit of exposition-y sort of thing of the project, the reclamation project is the kind of person that you would have running it. It seemed fitting for where they had put the character. I wasn't particularly heartbroken when he died. It was like, okay, I suppose this is what they've done just to put him, to add a bit of a delay to the Borg cube getting used. That was it. It's like we need to throw a stumbling block in there. They've not been particularly lax at killing off characters for this season, especially the Borg ones. So each um, got taken out in a really, really brutal scene. One of my few things about this show is it essentially goes to character favourites or favourite characters from the past and goes, oh, look, they're depressed now. And you go, oh, that's good, I guess. Let's see who else is depressed in this new world that you've created. So I think he was used effectively. I don't know what else they could do with him in Trek. Did they necessarily need to kill him off or just take him away in chains or something? I don't know.
3: Well, there's a whole story about the XBs that you could still be telling, and he could be almost at the centre of it.
1: If they are going to do something with Seven of Nine and former Borg, and what their place is, you know, is there such a thing as a former Borg? She's come back on Voyager, Voyager accepted her, and all the crew accepted her, and then you bring her back to the Federation, and they all go, "Mm, well, we don't accept you. There's not a place for you here. We're not trusting enough. And they've got this entire Borg cube full of them, where they've only restored a certain number of them back. I think there is interesting story to tell i don't think that would even happen necessarily in a seven of nine season or series Mm -hmm. i think the temptation would be to do a picard and scatter in a few voyager characters instead you'd throw in the doctor and you'd throw in whatever that's what you would end up doing in a seven of nine season i'd hope to be proved wrong that they would do something a bit more interesting maybe Mm -hmm. but i don't know i think they probably used Hugh as much as they could I don't think he would get dropped back into something else in Picard in the future. Especially now that they've crashed the Borg cube onto that planet. It doesn't seem like it's going to be an ongoing concern. Oh, I think no, he's dead. He's
0: unlikely to come back. You just never know these things.
3: Yeah. The severed head, as you say, Chris.
1: You oh, yeah, yeah. Him. My rule of TV shows and movies, until I see the decapitated corpse, and even then a lot of shows bring them back, <laughs> <laughs> my rule keeps getting broken time and time again. Uh, mainly with multiple universities and multiple timelines all going
2: on at once. Aaron, did you like Hugh? Yeah, I liked Hugh, but as Nick said, he's a victim of too many plot points, so they didn't really get to do enough with him. Again, strip out the Romulans, make this about synths, and then I've seen something online, one of the creators, I figured it was the writer, the director, or if that was the same person, even said that the reason he died is because it was to show the true horror of their second-class citizen setups, that people were racist and biased against them. And I thought, that's great on paper for you to say in an interview, but I didn't get anything in detail about that. Some Romulans, bad mouths, and Borg, but really you didn't explore that as a plot point. So what they said they wanted to do with it, I didn't feel it was earned and could only have been done if they'd have dedicated the whole series to the Borg being a suffering underclass well, that a rewrite, probably.
0: The main thrust of it was they were showing the synths as being hated and derived. The synths were the people they didn't like. So they told, but they didn't show, really. Exactly.
3: Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Well, yeah, there could have been this whole story about Seven becoming a Fenris Ranger because she was rejected on Earth for being a former Borg or something. I mm-hmm. don't know. Yeah, they could have done something with that, but they didn't. And yeah, there's just a lot of wasted potential going on here. Although where I think they did excel was with the other returning TNG characters, so Riker, Troy, and Data. And I think the Riker-Troy episode—I mean, pretty much everybody that I know that's watched this show said that was their favorite episode. Because, and for me, it's—I liked it so much because it was the promise of what I expect from this show when it was announced. Let's check in with some old friends. Let's have some great, familiar, yet new moments with them. Let's see what they're doing with their lives now. And I really bought into Riker just chilling on his planet, making food and living with his family. And, Nick, you might know this better than me, but the cooking thing must be a Frakes thing, right? Because he's done it in his last two Riker appearances. I have no idea. No No idea. Yeah, but I'm thinking it must be because he seems to... Well, Riker enjoys it, so I'm guessing Frakes might enjoy it too. But with his unkempt beard in the woods making pizza, it just really works. And some of the moments they had in that episode were amazing. Riker talks to Picard from his experience as a parent and saying, what you've got here is a teenage girl. I have a teenage girl, and I know you're not up to it. It's that change in the relationship. So I'm guessing... Something must have shifted in their dynamic when they were both captains as well, mm. you know, earlier on in their careers. But it's really lived in, and I think Jonathan Frakes doesn't miss a beat going back to that role as it's well.
0: Some of his best performances, actually, in these. Yeah. In that episode, is some of his best performances I've seen him do.
3: Definitely Marina Surte's best work.
0: Yeah, it was definitely good. some of her best work. But it was also some of the best material she's been given.
3: Yeah, she's not just sitting stating the obvious. Yeah. Aaron, what are your thoughts on the Riker and Troy? episode
2: it was familiar and nice and happy with it i think the only thing i would have asked for was it to be more meaningful long term it was meaningful in the episode i'm not trying to say it wasn't because it was both for picard and for us for separate reasons but as we said earlier in the show if we could have had more meaning put to the death of the sun If it could have informed some of the choice later rather than Riker just showing up as a ta-da, we win together moment, then I would have enjoyed it more. So it was nice, but I think it wasn't powerful and I would have liked that extra power, that's all. For me, it was
0: powerful. And to be honest, I think I'm kind of with Craig. Seeing these characters together, seeing new moments with again, that ticked the boxes for me. So could they have added to it? Probably did I care? No, because it was enough of a kick in the teeth. It was just great. Loved it.
3: Yeah, I could have done without the dead son. You know, someone in this bloody timeline should be happy. (laughs) (laughs) Someone.
1: I mean, I'm sure I spoke to you before the airing of the Riker episode, and I was like, please don't let them be depressed. Please (laughs) let this be the one place where there's just someone that is living their best life, they're happy, they're living in the woods, it's all fine. It's like, and then they've got a dead kid, and you're like, oh.
0: "But actually, they were happy. Yes, they'd yes. been through a trauma, but they'd come through it, and they were happy. So I think they were still in a good place.
3: They definitely so they were better they off than anyone. Depressed. Oh, yeah. They weren't unhappy, yeah.
0: and that's yeah. a real place because I mean, people do go through these things, and some people come through the other side of them, and they still carry that trauma with them, but they're not necessarily unhappy or depressed. They still find joy in life." And that was what we saw. Yes, they'd been through hell, but they'd come through it and they still found the joy in their lives. They still had something to live for. They still had Kestra. They still had each other. They weren't in a dark place.
3: No, they definitely not. And the moment in that sort of situation that really hit me harder than others was the bit where Troy tells Picard that every day that pain that Kestra has over losing her brother fades a little more. It's that idea that she will soon basically forget him because that's what grief is. That's what she has to do in order to function properly. She will eventually have to just remember that she had a brother but won't really have any strong feelings about that loss one way or the other after a while. And it's because she's young, she's bouncing back so much easier than they are. And the fact that Troy is seeing that happen and it upsets her that her daughter is going to be dealing with that loss much better than she will. That was, that was a really nice moment. And uh-huh. he also had Troy hesitating for a second before opening his bedroom door. That was good as well. I think they handled it well. I think if they'd been sitting around moping about the fact that they'd lost their son, it would have been just piling it on. But uh-huh. yeah, Rikers is largely his old self. He's quite chipper. He's quite animated. And maybe he can't sit down the way he used to. You, know, you don't see him stepping over chairs anymore. But
0: uh-huh.
3: it was great to see him. Yeah,
0: no, I totally agree.
3: And we also had Data, who gets a proper ending this time rather than just being sort of blown up. And I wasn't expecting that by the last episode, actually. I just, I think when they introduced Brent Spiner as this randomly unknown Zoom son, I was a bit, mm, this is odd. And I kind of thought they were going to reveal that he was an android and things like that, as everybody else did. But the the fact that you had Data's, sort of reconstituting consciousness, running on a hard drive somewhere. I wasn't expecting it, and I thought that moment that he shared with Picard was great. The two of them sitting there and discussing death, essentially, was really well done.
0: I agree. I mean, that for me was certainly a high point. It didn't go in the direction I thought they would go with it. I did think as well, is this golem going to be Data? But no, they did go in a different direction with it. It was nice that Data got... A proper send-off and that Picard got to say goodbye and to resolve his own guilt about what happened. So I have no complaints about that scene at all. It's certainly one of my favourites from the whole season.
3: Yeah, the whole sequence for Picard's unplugging up was brilliant. You see him ageing, he gets that kind of final human experience mm-hmm. of ageing and dying. It was a perfect send-off for Data and Brent Spiner said that he couldn't play Data anymore. I mean... It wasn't Uh entirely convincing looking at him in this show, even with the technology we have nowadays, to make people look younger and things. So, yeah, it's the right time to say goodbye to the Brent Spiner data character, I think. Uh Plus, he can still hang around as this random son of Soon Soon. that we didn't know about, which I have issues with itself. I always got the impression that Soon couldn't have kids or didn't want kids, so just made his own.
0: Yeah, maybe Soon just keeps cloning himself. (laughs) Yeah. That would explain a lot.
3: It would explain a lot. Remember that theory from Enterprise, where that version of Arrik I think his name was.
0: It was actually Noonian.
3: Yeah, he slunk off to the Briar Patch and just yeah, left on that I remember planet. That one. <laughs> yeah, maybe. <laughs> so I wouldn't rule it out. Yeah, Chris, what do you think of the final moments of Data?
1: I loved it I thought it was a really nice scene I think it worked really really well I can see exactly why Bright Spiner would go this is enough this is a a good line to call it I think it was a nice moment I don't think they could have done more than that it was good seeing Data getting an actual send off I think they've done what they can with the character and it fitted perfectly in with the story there is a reason for Picard to be wanting to go out and finding these synths because they are sort of children of data kind of thing it worked on all those levels where as we've discussed some of the other a bit sort of don't and sort of deviate off but I think that through line was pretty well done
3: yeah it started off with Picard being haunted by Data's death and the fact that he blames himself for it and feels like he should have been in his place and stuff and then he gets closure on that so that is a definite thing that they pay off really well from the beginning Aaron what do you think of Data and his ending
2: I think I've got a different connection to it because I haven't seen the film with data's death in it
3: you actually have i remember loaning it to
2: you at one point oh have i okay in that case i've seen it and don't remember it so it didn't impact (laughs) on me much but it that's not the important thing for me my favorite ever star trek episode is based on a foundation of, of picard and data discussing humanity and i really enjoyed this scene because it hails back to that and it's all part of the same thing. Everything you're talking about is connected to that as well. So I won't say I found some amazing other connection to it, but just because I don't remember that film, and it is trying to give you that finale from that film that you're talking about. It gives you the ending, the epilogue. But to me, I could have happily watched that just because it was Data and Picard, and I love all of their conversations, just the two of them. For this TV series, I would have liked that to be a moment of realisation where Picard was... Taught something or reflected on something that informed a choice for him. I think that would have given the series Picard something powerful. However, to enjoy that scene, I didn't need that. I enjoyed it because of those two characters, because of that history, and because of what they meant to me. So oddly, I enjoyed it irrespective of the medium it was given in. I didn't need to be part of Picard. I would have enjoyed it. As it was.
3: So what episode were you talking about? Is your favourite one or is it just in general your favourite episodes of those
2: ones? My favourite episode is The Defector.
3: Okay, yeah. That's a good
2: one. A really good one. And it it opens with a discussion of what it means to be human and I think the themes in Picard are brought to that again at the end. I think it ends on a... Let's make this an STNG episode, as we've said, on quite a few of the plot points. It doesn't open with what does it mean to be human, but it's almost like next generation can't get away from that, really. And with these two characters, how could you get away from that? So it's brought back to that because it's relevant to synths, I guess. But it's always a good conversation, even if I don't know that it necessarily fitted into the series perfectly perfectly. It's always a great conversation for those two to have, and it doesn't ever disappoint. So, yeah, Yeah. good stuff.
3: And I think the synth culture needed to be better developed because you don't get any time with it. It is, as you say, it's just like a random episode where they show up to a planet, and it felt very original series, even with costumes and, you know, the the giant space flowers there. (laughs) (laughs) They're very sort of, well, if the original series had the money to do it, they would have done it, or early TNG yeah
2: they're your opening mystery it's before the credits yeah we're being attacked by flowers captain Raw credits you know what's yeah. going on mystery <laughs> yeah.
3: yeah and so you only get a kind of high level view of what that culture's like and i think that's part of the problem because like we said about soji why does she have any particular leaning towards this culture she doesn't spend any time with them
2: yeah. But of all my returning characters, though, I think seeing Data in that final scene was my favourite of them.
3: Yeah, uh, Data was great, and I thought Brent Spiner was great as well, playing that role for what will amount to the final time. Yeah, no complaints about that. It's great just seeing two great actors just working off each other like that. And I mean, the visuals were hit and miss. I think it looked good enough, but I don't know. There was something about uncanny valley about Data in that scene. I think. I don't know if anyone else felt that.
0: Not enough to care. Not enough to care. <laughs> I was more invested in what was going on than that kind of stuff.
3: Yeah. No, I mean it didn't bother me. It didn't detract from the scene. It was just when I rewatched it and things, it was you start to notice things like the collar goes up a bit too high in his uniform and stuff like that. But Brent Spiner's older and fatter than he used to be, and maybe some of it has to do with the fact that you see him in human form in the same episode, so you're reminded of what he looks like now as well. Yeah, it's about as good as they could have done it in terms of. Bringing him back, and if it's the final time, although they still won't explain what happened to Lore. So, we talked about most of the elements, I think, to various extents. So, as a last thing, a bit of a roundup of what we would like to see in season two. We're definitely getting one, so what would you like to see happen in that? What elements would you like to see brought back? What elements would you like to see continued? Nick, let's start with you.
0: That's a good question. More Riker, more Troy. <laughs> I would like to see Crusher and LaForge. I don't care about Worf. You don't care about Worf? I couldn't care less about Worf. We've seen so much Worf. <laughs> we just don't need to see Worf again. Worf can stay on Kronos. If we don't see anybody else, I would like to see Crusher next season. Beverly needs to turn up.
3: And Wesley?
0: I have no problem if Wesley turns up. I do not hate Wesley at all. So like Yeah, Wesley can show up if he wants. Beverly Wesley. Crusher. That's my want for next season. And more seven. More seven. Cool.
3: Aaron, what would you like to see from Season 2?
2: I'd say I'd like to see more of the synth stuff, but I can't. I'd say I'd like to see more of the Romulan stuff, but I don't think we can because that's also tidied up and resolved in a nice, neat bow, and they probably need to both, unfortunately, fade away and be replaced by something new. The only thing I can think of that's left from the original setup that hasn't been explored enough that I think Picard could get into is dealing with the idea that he's still got the ideology of the old federation but that old federation has gone so i think i want to see him somehow cheerleading the old federation values trying to fly in the face of a cynical political leadership that can't really support it or doesn't feel like they can and he's trying to save the good guy and maybe gets grudging respect from some sort of council member, but the others are fighting against him. And he's almost like a Robin Hood that wants to bring back an old era and should be struggling to do that. I don't want him to have fixed the Federation by the end of season two. I don't want this nice, happy ending thing going on. I think that's just what he's trying to fight against. And he should have important personal victories with individual planets or groups of people. And the Federation, not as a bad guy, but as this resisted force that almost can't go back to what it was.
1: Cool. Okay. kind of like that idea. I'd say getting something a bit more episodic, maybe after the events of this season, they realise that there is a place for someone like Picard, and they use them ad hoc to solve little problems, little niggles that they've got realising that he's got that skill. I like that idea. Rather than, oh, let's have another big overarching plot of even more synths coming to attack or whatever. If Seven and Nine's getting her own show, leave her to her own show. Don't sort of drop her in on this unless you actually need her. Would be my thing. Especially if you're going to focus on her in her own thing, then you don't really need to see her again. I'm definitely with Nick. I'd like to see more of the TNG crew go around and round some of them up or speak to them for whatever reason, but it's got to be something that's necessary. Not just randomly for no reason. Fit it in in a way that makes sense. In this show, it made sense. It's like he's going to go somewhere where he can hide, somewhere where he knows he's going to get support. So he went to Riker and Troy. So, if he's going to consult Beverly about something uh, medical, then fine. That's where it makes sense. You need help from an engineer, you need help from a friend, go to one of his former crew. That makes perfect sense. So, I'm up with that. Well, that sounds, sounds medical great. medical
3: needs he has to go to, Jordy, instead of, crew <laughs> yeah, know, yeah. Now it, it's Jordy, <laughs> isn't it?
1: Yeah, exactly. Needs maintenance, needs an oil change. Yeah. yeah.
3: <laughs> so, the finale seemed to end on this note of we're the crew now, and then they head off into the wilderness which is a bit Firefly, isn't it? And, Aaron, what you described is almost a bit of a Firefly concept, as in, not that they're outlaws as such, but they're operating on their own backs, on their own recognizance, figuring things out and maybe getting involved in situations. and Like a a Robin Hood-type situation, as you said. So, yeah, maybe like Picard and crew flying in to solve a problem in a given week and then flying off again. I would be quite happy for a return to the sort of episodic format with continuity being... Character-driven continuity rather than plot-driven continuity. I do want to see some returning characters. Nick says he doesn't care about Worf. I do. I want to see more Worf. In a tie-in novel to this that I've not read, he is captain of the Enterprise at this point. So that'd be nice to see. Be interesting to see, maybe. Geordi. Maybe some Deep Space Nine cast. Maybe some Voyager cast. More Voyager cast. We're getting Guinan next season. That's been promised. I want to see Gainan. I really want to see Gainan, I like Gainan. Yeah, so episodic, but the characters learn from what they deal with and, yeah, bring back people, but bring them back with purpose. That's what I would like. Make it a bit of a swashbuckling season. Because we've never had a Firefly-type thing in the Star Trek universe. That could be fun to see. So what we'll do is we'll wrap up now, I think. There's not enough of what we can say. So, Nick, before you take your fleet and warp off, what are your final statements?
0: Pretty much what I've said already. I loved season one. I am totally psyched for season two. Can't wait. It's a shame it will probably be delayed a bit because of coronavirus. But, hey, I'll be there for it when it comes. Can't wait for it.
2: Cool. Aaron? I got a lot more out of this show than I got out of, Discovery. I think I would definitely be back for this and the parts of old Star Trek that it brought with it were very welcome for me, on top of the fact that it gives me what I wanted. I've always liked the darker turn of things, as I've said in previous podcasts, and this was just dark enough to be meaningful while still keeping enough of the lighthearted stuff, you know, the the old characters coming back. So actually the tone this sets is almost a perfect tone for me. I only think that I enjoyed that tone and the play out in the first half of the season and all the promise was there and not enough of the payoff, which is a shame but I still enjoyed it a lot more than many other things that are on telly at the moment.
1: Chris? What can I say that hasn't been said? Like I said at the beginning, overall, I I think I enjoyed the season. I watched it all the way through. Look forward to seeing more of it. Gave me a bit of a nostalgia kick, reminding me of the character. I think it was time for the character to be brought back and look forward to seeing a bit more.
3: I'm going to say that I was more disappointed than not with this season. I think it started off really well. And as I've said, there's so many things that were interesting that don't quite play out in ways that I enjoyed and it left me wondering if the show was worthwhile. That being said, Patrick Stewart was great. The moments that they had between him and other characters, particularly returning characters, were great as well. But I'm not entirely sure it justified its own existence and maybe season two will find its way into something that it is meaningful and worthwhile and better continuation for this character than I thought they had here. So that's that. So, Chris, thank you for being here. It's been a pleasure to discuss Picard.
1: You still owe me a left leg.
3: Oh so, well, maybe I'll be there when you've been back. Aaron, thank you for being here and discussing Picard.
2: Yeah, thank you, and I'm pleased to leave with as many limbs as I started with.
3: Who knows, maybe Chris will get your left leg.
2: <laughs> okay, and then I won't be pleased to leave the it. He's
0: often commented that's his best feature.
3: <laughs> and Nick, thanks for responding to the distress call and arriving when you did.
0: Glad I could join you. Thanks for having me.
3: So I'm going to beam Chris and Aaron back to where they came from. And Nick, you can feel free to head back to your Starbase or wherever it was you came from. <laughs> So that was our discussion of the first season of Star Trek Picard. Thanks to Dark Materia for the supplied music. If you enjoyed what you heard, then please do hit that subscribe button on iTunes, Spotify, YouTube, or any major podcasting app. iTunes users, please do leave us a star rating and a comment. If you want to talk Star Trek Picard, Star Trek in general, or anything else, then please do hit us up on Facebook or Twitter under Neil Before Blog, or leave a comment on blog.co.uk As always, we hope you'll join us on the next Neil Before Pod. Engage!
2: I think it's so.